Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Winning out the Cardinals second inning, designated hitter number 40, Wilson Contreras. That's why this is the best rivalry in baseball. Wilson Contreras, born and raised a Cub, was honored before the game today. And before he takes his first at bat as a Cardinal, Marcus Stroman steps off the rubber and says, welcome back. On the ground, and welcome back to Chicago. And look at him. Look at Contreras. Say, booby some more. Line drive, and the Cardinals lead. That ball bobbled in left, but no further advance. Swing, fly ball, center field. Bellinger looks. Might be, could be. It's off the wall. Run will score. Contreras will slide into second. Big hit for the Redbirds. It's 2-1 to one Cardinals. Well, I got the first base in. Uh, all of a sudden, I was found myself doing this. I was like, people like it, and my teammate likes it. I'm going to keep doing it. Some people embrace moments like this, and uh, some people run away from it. Uh, Willie's one that definitely embraces it and runs towards it. So that was fun to watch tonight. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. I missed hearing Chip Carey on the call for the St. Louis Cardinals. It's good to be able to hear him on a winning Tuesday here on 101 ESPN. The Cardinals have won two games in a row for the first time in nearly four weeks. They win the first game of a series. Oh boy, for the first time all season, it is a beautiful day here in St. Louis. Alex, I fell in love with Wilson Contreras last night. Honestly, I've Were fallen in further place? and further in love with Wilson Contreras basically since the moment that he was removed from the catcher spot. And this is a weird thing for me because I didn't see it coming, but I think that the Cardinals have kind of botched this entire situation, and I don't think you can handle it any better than what we've seen from Wilson Contreras from his performance on the field over the last few days with the way that he's been able to help his team come away with a couple of victories recently as a designated hitter to everything that he has stated publicly, which is basically, yeah, I knew this was going to be a challenge, a huge challenge. I love a big challenge. That's one thing I don't shy away from. He is taking all of this head on. And to me, He has endeared himself to Cardinals fans 
even more than he was prior to what took place over the weekend here in St. Louis. I'll get to the on-field performance because that's just one of the many reasons why we all love Wilson Contreras here on BK and Ferrario. But I, I think it should start, if I'm a Cardinals fan, of how he's handled his so this whole situation. As soon as it was announced, he was standing at his stall waiting to speak to the media. And I can tell you, I've been in plenty of locker rooms when controversy surrounds an athlete. There are some that refuse to speak in those situations. The this year who let Alexi Torbchenko take yes. all of the questions when they yes. were going through a tough time. And then after more was thrown on top of Wilson Contreras in Chicago, where he spent his entire career, he was talking to the media once again. And you read the quote, him stating, I love this challenge. Talked to the media for 17 minutes prior to that game last night, accepted any questions about him. I mean, the Cardinals basically belittling him saying that his pregame preparation is essentially childish and, never, and does not meet the the standards for being a St. Louis Cardinal he stood up there said yeah listen I, I'm working on it it's something that I am prepared for and I can't wait to be back behind the plate for the St. Louis Cardinals and he never answered in a degrading tone to nope. any of the reporters of like seriously like he never got aggravated and to me that's a professional right there and that made him even skyrocket further on the list of somebody that I appreciate for how he's handled this and then you put it into the field situation in Wrigley you're the DH you were signed to be a catcher you know that there are plenty of people I mean I heard Chip Carey talk about it before the game that they were driving to Wrigley Field yesterday and there was a sign on a bar that said hey Wilson how are you enjoying St. Louis right now like if you're him I, I would have wanted to bury my head in the sand and not walk out onto that field because I just lost my job a month into the season after they just signed me. But instead he goes out there and he comes up with two monumental plays for that team to win their second consecutive game. To me, Wilson Contreras right now has become my favorite Cardinal. Yeah, it, the way he's played in showing fire has been awesome to see. And the way he's handled it, as you guys said, has been, been great because let's revert back to just this year in the Cardinals clubhouse. Tyler O'Neill pushed back and it took two days for the Cardinals finally to get on on the same page with Tyler O'Neill for a lack of hustle, even though he'll still deny that he wasn't hustling in, in that situation. So the way he's handled it's been a pro. And then the fact of the matter that he shows up to Chicago in an emotional return and just was awesome last night in the DH spot. He had, I think, three or four hard hit balls and the one that was robbed by Swanson should have been a hit. I think that was the fourth hardest hit ball in baseball this season. And he got the robbed. hardest hit ball by a Cardinal in the StatCast era, I think is what I saw last night. And, and he got robbed of a hit. Like The way he backed up his performance was great. And I love the fire. I love the fact that he's like saying, bring on the booze. I, I, I like that. I like to see someone playing with some passion. And especially with a team that has been going through it right now that has looked very kind of in the mud, sluggish, no like fire to the dugout. Help, Newbar hasn't even been able to be himself, in my opinion, because they're just going through it. And there's Contreras out there at second base, just saying, "Bring on the booze." Yeah, can we talk about that for a minute? This team has been awful, like historically awful. And the guy who has been having his name drugged through the mud these last couple of days was the one that brought you out of that funk. That's that's more of a problem for the Cardinals than anything. Yeah, we'll talk about the Cardinals. We'll get to the, the team-wide issues <sighs> and whether to. or not they're fair. Like, we'll get to that. But I loved the way that Wilson Contreras embraced the crowd last night. I think baseball in general needs more of that. A guy that's willing to play the role of a villain. You heard it with Chip Carey. By the way, that audio on the way back was courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. You heard it from Chip Carey where he said, hey, this is why... Cubs cards is the greatest rivalry in baseball. It's absolutely true. Wilson Contreras goes back to his former home. 
and right before his first plate appearances appearance is cheered. Now there were some boos in there. Don't get me wrong, but he was cheered. And then as he gets his first hit, he's booed as he's uh, standing there on first base. And he just says, bring it on, bring it on. I love it. I, I, I eat this stuff up. And then he hits the double and he does it again. I hope that becomes his new thing. I hope as he gets back to St. Louis, he 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 cheer, he uh, embraces the cheers that he gets from the home crowd. I hope as he goes out on the road elsewhere, other than just Chicago, he tries to get the crowd to boo him there as well. It's beautiful. That's something that this team needs. They need a guy that can be an energy giver to the rest of the team. Because how many times, Alex, have we said this team looks flat? There's no energy. There's no buzz. There's no. There's nothing to ignite the fire for them. You could feel it last night. Wilson Contreras was ready from opening pitch to ignite that fire for this team. That being said, this gets us to the, the big picture question. They won three to one. They won two in a row. They're now nine games out of first place in the NL Central. All right. Don't don't say it, dude. I know where you're going with this, but don't. T-Bone, if you can grab Buster Olney, who was on with the morning show, he was asked about the Cardinals in relation to the NL Central. And Buster Olney has not lost the faith. Here's what he had to say earlier today on the balloon party. They are still the team to beat in the Central, which might sound crazy given how poorly they generally have played. But here's the 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 simple fact is they've got more talent than anybody in the division. Alex, do you believe that last night was a potential jumping off point for the Cardinals and that they can reclaim their spot in the next few weeks as the team to beat in the NL Central. I think you cut off part of Olney's comment there at the end where he said they got the uh, most talented group. I I think he meant offensive players, not pitching, offensive players. You just cut that off, but that's fine. No, I don't believe that's the jumping off point yet because we've seen this team do this before. Now, they have not won the series I, opener yet. I have seen yet. them win one game before. We, yeah. we, we, we have not no, seen them do well, what they did last night. Well, we've seen <laughs> them. We've, has not we've seen yet. them win back-to-back games before. And when that happened, everyone was like, "Nah, maybe they jump it up." I remember the Colorado Rockies game. Arenado hits that ball. Huh? Yeah. Jump it up. Point. What happened after that? They split the series against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Hey, looking back. Not so bad, huh? Yeah, I guess not. not. You guys are going to take that. But no, to me, that's not the jumping off point. It's a good vibe for them. And I think it's an awesome vibe for Wilson Contreras. Um, But it was the Chicago Cubs. And when you beat a team that is. Hey, man, you're the St. Louis Cardinals right now. You can't. You know, you can't. But in no way, shape or form, am I going to look at that and say, yep, that's the jumping off point. I'm going to see. I'm going to need to see a lot more before I'm ready to jump back on this bandwagon. Yeah, I'm not buying in yet either. I having one guy perform in his return to Chicago (laughs) offensively. Offensively wasn't that impressed last night. And look, I get it. Strowman's a good pitcher, but. And also the fact of the matter that, like, I know a lot of people are like, oh, hey, Mike, this was good last night. I looked about four and a third. That's not good enough for a starting pitcher. He had 30 pitches in his and first inning. they're probably without at least two arms, I'd say, in the bullpen tonight. Hicks ain't, went, what, two innings, and then uh, Helsley closed oh, out back-to-back days. Pitching today. He's not pitching today. Uh, I'd be shocked if Cabrera's available. Like, they're going to short, short on their bullpen arms, and I don't have faith Jack Flaherty's going to be able to eat six innings. So until I see starting pitching that goes, you know, longer than four and a third and is effective – for more than one game and does it like once or twice through the rotation, then I'll buy back in. But like right now to me, that was like, oh, hey, look, they won a game. Now let's watch them lose the next two. You've got Geo, you've got Stratton, you've got Nail, you've got JoJo. Let's go. Let's go. 
Jack Flaherty on the mound. Jack's going to give you eight strong. They'll go hand it over to Gio and you win the game tonight. That's that's the way this is going to go. I, I'm not in yet, but I do think that there there was a different feel to the team last night. Chicken Traris. Maybe, maybe that is the case. One guy, two guys won that game for you. Totally fair. And if that is all it is, then tonight's going to be back to what it was previously. But there's a chance like last night, if things are going to get back on track, that's what it looks like. T-Bone mentioned this to us in our text thread, Alex. He said, hey, if the Cardinals are going to get this thing back on track, they've got to win kind of like that. Four to one, four, two, five, three. Those are the games that they're going to have to win because right now the offense isn't consistent enough to consistently get you six plus runs and the defense looks like it could settle down with Brendan Donovan and left. Maybe you can win a little more with the run prevention with Andrew Kisner behind the plate. Maybe that's the route that they're going to have to go. We'll see. There's a long path ahead of them. They have dog one hell of a hole for them to be able to come out of. Last night was a good first start. And they finally were able to get the first game of a series coming up in about 15 minutes or so. The worst case scenario became the reality for the blues with the number one overall pick last night with the way that the lottery was able to break and we'll have a Ferrari 05 for you. But coming up next, there's been a lot of conversation about what preparation should look like for a catcher for the Cardinals. Eric Kratz was in that role for 11 years in Major League Baseball. We're going to talk to him about what preparation in his mind looks like for a catcher and what he's made of the way that the Cardinals have kind of thrown Wilson Contreras under the bus. Eric Kratz, former Major League Baseball catcher, joins us next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Very happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by the former Major League catcher. He spent 11 years in the big leagues. He's now a host on Foul Territory. You can listen to that show weekdays starting at noon central. It's Eric Kratz joining us here on the show. Eric, we appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? I'm awesome, BK. Alex, thanks for having me. I, you forgot, 13 years in minor leagues, too, so don't, don't <laughs> discount my... My minor league time there. <laughs> yeah, a, a big leaguer, a minor leaguer, and one of the most beloved players around the big leagues from what I understand, Eric. So we appreciate you giving us a little bit of time today. People can follow you on Twitter at Eric Kratz 31. Eric, we reached out to you under a kind of unfortunate circumstances here in St. Louis where Wilson Contreras is no longer, at least for the time being, the messaging on this has been kind of unclear. Uh, the Cardinals catcher. I don't know how much you've been able to pay attention to this news here in St. Louis, but when you heard that Contreras was going to be taken out away from his role as the everyday catcher for the Cardinals, Eric, what'd you make of that? Oof. Um, I mean, they gave him a couple years with a couple dollars attached <laughs> to it to, to be their catcher. And I, and I haven't heard, maybe you guys know better, but I haven't heard like, Oh, this is, this is a, indefinite thing you know it's going to happen he's never going to catch again i have a hard time believing that i think it's something that when you're losing it is like you you almost have to change something whether it's your haircut whether it's you know the way you drive to the field whether it's you know and i think those two things 
probably have about as much to do with them moving Wilson Contreras out of the catching position because it's kind of like D.D. Gregorius coming in to replace Derek Jeter in New York. How did he do that? Well, one, he played well at his position and at the plate. And two, the media really didn't get on him. And I think, you know, there's a little bit – it's definitely way too early to change a catcher who you just signed for, I think, five years, $80 million, yep. out of position. And there's a reason you signed him. There is a reason, and it is an organizational reason. You know, you didn't just all of a sudden, wow, you know, he really impressed in spring training, so he made the team. No, like, this is a guy you've played against, you scouted. There's a reason you brought him in for the value that he brings. And a month, it seems a little panicky. And Eric, the bigger thing for me, and I think for a lot of people in St. Louis, is Wilson Contreras has become the scapegoat, kind of like you just mentioned, for a team that's really been bad in almost every area that you can imagine of the first month of the season. So from a player's perspective, from somebody who spent time as a catcher, that's not that's not an easy thing to just forget, is it, if you get kind of drugged through the mud for a team's struggles? I think there's, you know, I think there's a lot of underlying things. As, as a player, you don't, you don't only look at, or you shouldn't only look at how you as a player are treated because you might have, you might have some goggles on that give you a different view of it. Like, oh, you know, they never treat me well. Well, you know, how have they treated other guys in the past that are maybe, you know, consi- or came up through the Cardinal system? How did they treat Jordan Walker when he was hitting 280? How did they treat Tyler O'Neill when he, quote, didn't run? How did they, you know, there's, there's a lot that I think may have been handled differently than I think other teams have handled things, even, even in their own division. How, how do the Brewers handle scandal? How do the, you know, how do the Pirates handle scandal? How, do, how have the Cardinals handled these types of things earlier in their career. And then as a player, you sit there and you evaluate it. And that kind of is what shapes your, your, your view of the organization and how they view you. So not necessarily just how they, you know, they treat you because you know what? I think Wilson Contreras would probably say, Hey, I'm behind there. I'm calling the game. And I think, I think I should have gotten more out of the pitchers because if he's not saying that, then he should have been out long before a month. He should have been out way before that. Eric Kratz is our guest, former major league catcher and minor league catcher as well. Uh, (laughs) Now host on foul territory. We appreciate his time here on 101 ESPN. Eric, I did want to ask you because, you know, I've never played the position of catcher, much less done so in Major League Baseball. One of the things that continuously comes up and the Cardinals have been really coy about what's gone wrong here. In fact, Ollie Marmel gave this quote yesterday, the Cardinals manager. He said uh, there's so many different layers, so many different elements of what we're talking about in regards to Wilson Contreras. We're making sure he understands the full process of how we think through a game plan. He was then asked to be more specific about it. He said, quote, that's the part I understand 
unfortunately will not disclose in the part that, yeah, maybe it won't make sense to the rest of the world as to why we're doing that, but I'm just not going to. I'll wear it until then. That's the part that's going to stay in-house for us, and at the end of the day, maybe it won't make sense to anybody else, but we do feel confident in the end product. So basically he's saying, we're going to keep this stuff in-house. Yeah, there's stuff that Wilson needs to work on, but we're not going to explain that to everybody else. Uh, Eric, when you hear something like that and you've got the expertise of having done that job, been in that role for more than a decade in the big leagues, can you take us through a little bit what the game planning, the pregame preparation looks like as a catcher in the big leagues? It looks extensive. It is something that is, it's a team effort. It is a collaboration of everybody around you. Now for me, a guy that didn't play a lot as a backup catcher, I had to put extra work in because I'm not out there. You know, there's, there's probably three levels of, of scouting for a game. Your advanced guys, and that could be a collaboration of one guy or five guys that have some type of you know, advanced information that they've looked up and prepared. Then there's a third, that's me. I'm doing video and I'm taking all the information that I have and it is looked at and it is evaluated. Why is he hitting? Why does Goldschmidt hit so-and-so on pitches belt high to letter high? Why does, what types of fastballs is he smashing? Can he get to my guy's fastball today? Then I'm taking the evaluation of everything that I've watched on video or I've had in game situation. And you put all that together, you collaborate that, and then you go in the game and you're like, I got it. And you might not do anything that you just thought of, but your brain has all that stuff going on because of the work that you've put in. So let's go back to Yadier Molina being that guy. He has just a dearth of knowledge, just an unbelievable like chest of knowledge whether he cared to or not he just played so many games in the big leagues and he has so much knowledge I think in a way this kind of falls on the Cardinals as a staff because they didn't have to do anything when Yadier Molina was around now there might be some guys that did and I know some of the guys in that organization but to blame Yadier Molina and all of a sudden sit here and go Oh, well, we're not talking, you know, all of a sudden, all of a sudden we're keeping something in house. You know, that's not been the MO the first month slash, Hmm. you know, last six months of playing like this is something they're keeping in house. I I think it's more than just on, on Yachty. I mean, on, on the, on Wilson, because Yachty kind of helped a lot of guys. It's gotta be on the pitchers too. Like if Yadier Molina says, Hey, I want you to throw a curveball. You could look you could look at yourself as a pitcher and be like, I don't even throw a curveball. <laughs> if Yachty says it's awesome, I'm gonna think about doing it. Now if Wilson Contreras comes out there and he goes, Hey, I want you to throw a curveball right here, pitcher could be like, Oh man, Wilson, oh he doesn't even know me. He doesn't even know I don't throw a curveball. So the exact same situation, two different people, the difference is only one person's throwing the pitch. Only one coach is preparing their part of the section of scouting. And so to take the blame, for Wilson to take the blame and take the high road here, 
is big league of him. It's been but super impressive. Yeah, and, and for the organization, they need to set. They need to step up if they're if they're going to be an upfront organization like they've been the whole season. They need to step up and say, you know what? Hey, Rick Hahn, I am the one that wanted to sign this guy because we saw this value in him and this value, and he has more value than this. And Ali Marmol can say, hey, you know what? I agree with Rick. You know, he brought he brought. I'm sorry, Rick Hahn. <laughs> I'm I'm going White Sox, not not Rick Hahn. We, we were letting you we were letting you yeah, cook. No, 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 no. We knew what you were going went, with, Mo. I, <laughs> I went White Sox. I was I was in my Midwest GM. My bad. Hey, let Kratz cook. So, Come on, man. That's 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 my bad. That is like that's like that's sacrilegious to say Chicago and it's all and good. You didn't, you didn't you didn't go with the Cubs. Yeah, it was White Sox. We're good. We're good. <laughs> no, it wasn't. You're right. You're right. So it was in the American League. No, Mazeliak. Is going. Um, he's he's the one that's coming. You know, he's probably the guy that's making a signing like like Contreras, and he's saying, "Yes, you know what? I do. I do want this guy. Where's he at? Come and say something. You know what? If you think you made a mistake because you signed this guy, and you're like, eh, we should take him out of the position. You know, come up, say something." Like you were super excited to be there when it was time to sign this guy, and like you put the shirt on him over top of his, over top of his tie and dress shirt, and you smiled and everything. Come on down in the trenches when it happens too. Like, and that's to, to me that's that's where I think Wilson has handled this from what I've seen, and I'm not in St. Louis. He's handled it like a pro. And I think other people need to step up and do the same thing. That was our open today. I, I think he's endeared himself to St. Louis. Like, I think he's even more a Cardinal fan favorite today, despite being removed from the catcher situation uh, than he was a week ago, which is a strange thing to say, given the fact that the Cardinals have basically publicly stated now they don't think he's preparing well enough. Eric, final thing that I wanted to ask you, and I know you've got uh, got to get out of here in just a minute, but I, I did want to ask you about the preparation for different teams. Because you played for nine different teams in the big leagues, and that's been uh, one of the big hot topics now is that the Cardinals preparation is so much different, so much more advanced, according to them, at least than what the Cubs were doing with Wilson <laughs> Contreras. Uh, can you describe that a little bit from your perspective on what the difference was in pregame preparation for the different teams that you played for? Uh, I mean, I kind of I kind of threw throughout those nine teams. I actually played on a 10th team, but I never got in a game. I played for the Red Sox for three days. So <laughs> that was that's a, that's a fun nugget, but the uh, there's there's so much there is definitely different ways, but part of that is you sit there like let's say let's say I go to the Brewers and they say here's our advanced report here we you know we have an analytical advanced report we have our scouting report from our scouts advanced report and you know this is the information we have well if those guys just flop that stuff into my, you know, into my floppy disk or put it on a hard drive or, you know, they put it in a binder and they don't say anything. Well, you know, how am I going to, how am I going to decipher what their language is, what they, how they talk, you know, then I go to the pirates and Ray Seawridge is my pitching coach. Well, I spent two different times with the pirates. And the first time I was there, Joe Kerrigan was a pitching coach. And the second time I was there, Ray Seawridge was a pitching coach. And two very accomplished, very well-respected pitching coaches. And if they're making a scouting report 
and we're talking about stuff on the bench, and I don't know what they're talking about because they won't communicate with me, then we have an issue. And so to me, the differences are going to be so vast, and yet you're getting the same things across. Like, how do you get to this certain weakness, or how do you stay away from a strength, and how do you continue to push a pitcher's strength to have the success in those in, in those games? And, and I know it sounds like a very general, boring baseball answer, but you see so many different things. Like, there's places where every single thing is analytical, and you're like, okay, well, what does this mean? And you start to learn it, and essentially all the analytics – when you spend an extra extra 10, 15 minutes on them, it's just exactly the same as what the advanced scout is saying. He's just talking through it with his eyes, and analytics are talking through it with numbers. And so if it is that much more advanced, I'm going to call – I'm going to give you a meh. Like, come on. Like, don't it, – it's not that much more advanced. Like, that, that's kind of a slap in the face to the Cardinals – I mean, to the to the Cubs, like, oh, we're so much more advanced. Really? Like, how much more advanced are you? Maybe that's the issue. Maybe you're too advanced for somebody who just came in to learn your, your quote-unquote cardinal way. Like, maybe it should be kind of an adjustment way. Like, hey, hey, what, Wilson, what do you need from me? And we'll adjust it to you because you're going to be here for five years and we're going to spend $80 million and we're going to enjoy the fact that you bang balls all over the ballpark, you steal bases, and you throw people out and pick people off and you bring tons of energy that we need on this team. And, you know, instead of, well, you've got to do it our way. Oh, see you in a month. You know, that kind of thing. Eric, this has been Nailed awesome, it. man. I know you got to get out of here. Let's do this again soon because it's been fantastic to be able to catch up with you. Eric Kratz uh, played for 10 different teams in Major League Baseball, 11-year Major League career, had a bunch of time in the minors as well. You can hear him on foul territory weekdays starting at noon central. Be sure to do that right after you listen to BK and Ferrario. Check out their podcast. Well worth your time. Eric, we appreciate the time as always, man. Thank you so much for joining us today, and we'll talk with you hopefully again soon. Guys, I appreciate it, and I definitely will. Have Tanner reach back out to me. Will do. Awesome. Thanks, Eric. Eric Kratz, uh, former Major League catcher, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Again, you can hear him on Foul Territory. The, the stuff they're doing, by the way, over on Foul Territory, you've uh, probably seen it. Uh, AJ Pruszynski is on there. Mm-hmm. It, it's genuinely really great stuff. I've enjoyed what they're doing. It's kind of it's almost like spitting chiclets for baseball is kind of the That's vibe the that vibe they're going with. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it's really good stuff. They're getting a bunch of players. Players feel comfortable going on there because they're talking to former major leaguers themselves. Uh, it, it's a really good time. And Eric is one of my favorites, honestly, uh, Eric, to listen to in the media. Eric just, I felt like he was in my, my head when he was just spewing that gold because he just said everything I've been feeling. I think the biggest thing that he said that I really loved was what he said there at the end, which is, Okay, maybe what you're doing is more advanced than what they were doing with the Cubs. The question that needs to be asked as a follow-up, though, does it need to be? Like, do you need to be so much more advanced, quote-unquote, than what the Cubs were doing with Wilson Contreras behind the plate? Because, guys, I don't know if you remember, but the Cubs won a World Series with Wilson Contreras what? as their catcher. It did happen. What? Yeah, yeah. Apparently, that was before analytics, though. Yeah. Uh, it was with Joe Madden, who, who hates by the way, analytics. By no the way, analytics. 
This whitewashing of Joe Madden's career has been wild to me. This is the dude that came up as the manager for Andrew Friedman with the Tampa Bay Rays when they started doing the shifting stuff. And they were like, hey, what can we do to get out in front of baseball? Because we have no money and we need to be the new Moneyball team. They were like, yeah. Joe Madden's the guy for us. No, man, you're forgetting. He didn't use analytics with the Cubs when they won. He brought in a circus in spring training, and it got the vibes going. Yeah, with Theo Epstein as his GM, the guy that was the next kid wonder. Okay, cool, yeah. That's the guy that is the anti-analytics manager. But anyways, um, I, I did really genuinely appreciate him saying, like, hey, it's possible that they're more advanced than what the Cubs were doing. But they probably shouldn't have to be more advanced than what the Cubs were doing. And if they are... Maybe that's a Cardinals problem more than it is a Contreras problem. Well, and what I appreciated from him was about John Mozeliak. And that's the part that, you know, I didn't really recognize until Eric just said it there. Guys, Mo hasn't spoken to... Ah, Contreras, he spoke to Ken Rosenthal. Thank you. But have we seen him speak to Bally Sports Midwest, to... The flagship station on the radio side to the media in the dugout. I was genuinely surprised he didn't speak on Sunday. Mo, I thought we were going to get a text that said John Mosellock will be meeting in the dugout. Prior Mo to the game. typically talks before every series opener at home. Well, the, he he has not had an opportunity to do that yet. Technically speaking, um, too busy since, with scouting trades. No, since they made the move with Contreras, because that would have been last Tuesday. Was the though? the homestand opener against LA. And they hadn't at that point made the move to take Wilson Contreras they from behind the play. They made the move Friday, didn't they? They Saturday. did. They made the move on Saturday. So okay. that's why I thought so Sunday Saturday he would have spoke. Now I know that he does a, a, a weekly radio show on their flagship station, but again, like to Eric's point, and that's somebody who has played for tons of organizations. He has not been face to face with the media following that decision. Yep. And to me, I, I mean, I remember it, and that's why it just was so surprising that we hadn't seen it in the middle of that losing streak for the blues. Doug Armstrong called a press conference. I thought it was early. I did too. <laughs> it was only like four or five games in. And he's like, we need a press conference to calm everybody down. And then he did another one. Once Toropchenko spoke out, that's twice that he had a press conference and we haven't heard anything since all of this went down. It is surprising to me. Uh, I bet you will hear from him on Monday, May 15th when the Cardinals are back home against the <laughs> Milwaukee Brewers. Oh, so about like six days, seven days away. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, when they probably put together a string of like four victories out of those six. Oh, I don't know what everybody was panicking about. Seems to be going fine right now. Eric was great. We'll have to have him on again soon. Uh, hopefully after Wilson Contreras regains the uh, the catching job for the St. Louis Cardinals, we'll uh, reach back out to him to see uh, what, what he thinks about yeah, that. Five years. Yeah. Coming up next. <laughs> next year. Things are going wrong with the Cardinals. They went big wrong for the Blues last night. The worst case scenario about who could get the number one overall pick became the reality. And Alex Ferrario has a Ferrario 5 ready for us. Coming up next year on 101 ESPN. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
The first overall selection in the 2023 NHL draft belongs to the Chicago Blackhawks. Oh, come on. on! Come on, man! Ah! Worst case scenario came true last night. The Chicago Blackhawks are going to be selecting number one overall. Congratulations to Connor Bedard on his selection to Chicago. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That's what it sounded like on ESPN last night as it was announced that the Blackhawks would be the number one overall pick. The Blues will be selecting number 10 overall. Alex, we'll get to a Ferrario 5 here in just a moment. I'm excited for this one. The five oh, yeah, players yeah. that the Blues, in your mind, should target at number 10. What was your reaction when you saw the Chicago Blackhawks logo selected with the number one overall pick. Not surprised because you put him in the market that it's going to be the biggest. And that's what Connor Bedard was. I I mean, Anaheim, Chicago, Columbus, the top three, it's exactly as expected there. I was more surprised that nobody else moved around from 10 up because that's typically something that's happened at least in the last couple of years. But look, Chicago, Connor Bedard, even if you actually believe that the pinball pinball balls are taken out individually and you know percentages is how it doesn't work conspiracy theory is how it's really done but of course Can I just turn his mic off it just made the most sense that he was going to be going to chicago and now you got to have to deal with him in the central division luckily you don't play the central division six times like you typically do so you only got to deal with them three times and yeah. chicago is still going to be awful for like at, le- at least the next two years yeah that's the way i looked at it was look it Early on, yes, your immediate reaction should be, oh, bleep, Bedard's in the central. But at least early on, it's going to be more of, hey, it's going to be fun to watch Bedard because the Blackhawks aren't going to be a good team. But as he grows and develops over the next two, three years, they continue to add to that team. It's going to suck. Watch out because Chicago's going to be a team that could potentially, I don't know if they can go on another Stanley Cup run like they did when they had Kane and Taves, but they could definitely build a team like what Edmonton did with Connor McDavid. All right, so that's the number one overall pick. Number 10 is where the Blues will be selecting. They did not win the lottery last night, which means that uh, Doug Armstrong has put a forever shun on Alex Ferrario because Alex promised him that they would be selecting either first or second. I texted him last night, uh, crickets, so. Sorry, guys. Checks out. But, Alex, that doesn't mean that the Blues are are, are screwed. There's going to be a good player that is available at number 10 overall. If the Blues do stay there with their draft pick or if they move up, there's going to be somebody that is incredibly talented that can help them, even if it's not right away, within the next couple of seasons. So this was your opportunity to put together a list of five players that the Blues should be targeting with the latest edition of the Ferrario 5. T-Bone, put the rally towels down because we're about to celebrate. Hit the open! You're listening to BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Ferrario 5, a top five list of very random things. So, Ferrario, give us your top five. So we talked about this on the show last night, our draft lottery show. The only one that's not in my top five that there is a chance they could draft is that Russian kid, uh, Matvey Mikov. And that's trading up. The the Athletic had a piece out earlier today with like a a mock draft now that you know what the 1 through 12 is. And they talked about how it's typically you got a group of teams that won't sign Russian or draft Russian players and teams that will draft Russian players. And for a draft of teams that would draft Russian players, St. Louis was like fourth in that. So if he drops to five or six, the Blues could trade up. But that's a different conversation that we can get closer to it. So number five on this list is the only defenseman, and it's that David Reinbacher. This is a kid that's six foot two. He's been playing in Switzerland. He's been compared to Adam Larson. The reason I have him so low is I don't know if I want to spend 
a top 10 pick on a guy that might not be impacting my club for four years. And if the comp for him is Adam Larson, Adam Larson's a good defenseman. Adam Larson's not a team changing defenseman. So I would stay clear of this, but this is somebody if he's at 10, maybe you consider if some of these forwards are off of the list. The rest of these are all forwards. Number four on this list is his name's Braden Yeager plays in the Western Hockey Leagues from Saskatchewan. And if you know about Saskatchewan boys, they're tough as nails. He's a center. have one of those guys. They do. Braden Shen. Everybody loves him. He's six foot two. He's a centerman. This year he scored 28 goals and had 78 points and only took 14 penalty minutes. They've defined him as a two-way center, a guy who is disciplined and a guy who's got compete. So if he's sitting there for you now, some people say that if you're picking him at 10, you might be reaching a little bit because he's probably 12, 13, 14, something like that. But if some of these other guys are gone, I think center's the direction they go. And if he's sitting there for you and if you feel like it's the right move, this could be somebody who could really help your team. If you don't like that, would you like another Tage Thompson? Would you like a, a second chance at Tage, T-Bone? How long yeah, is it going to take there. for him to become Tage Thompson? The last one took a little while. Well, ending to the new maybe, team. maybe this one. Yeah, that's very true. Maybe this one doesn't have as big of an ego as Tage Thompson did at the time, but his name is Matthew Wood. Uh, Craig Button and Bob McKenzie of TSN. They have him ranked 12th in terms of top prospects. He's six foot three, 190 pounds. Uh, he only scored 11 goals, but he was in this tournament for the uh, U.S. development team playing with Ryan Leonard and a couple of others, and he tore it up. He's a right winger. He's a guy who could play right or left wing. He's big. He goes to the front of the net, and he's got a hell of a shot, which is why they're comping him to Tage Thompson. So Matthew Wood could be sitting there for you. You're going to overload on forwards and guys who can score, but I don't think that's a bad thing if you're going down this identity that Doug Armstrong wants to accomplish. Uh, without Matthew Wood... Uh, let's go to number two, which is the guy I've brought up in the past, Ryan Leonard. This is your boy. This is my guy. And he's two because wait till you hear number one. But this guy's number two. He's been comped to the same compete as Matthew Kachuk. Goes to the front of the net. A little bit of a fire in his belly, if you'd like to say it that way. He scored 51 goals for the U.S. development team, which is the team that Jimmy Snuggerud played for last year. Leonard's committed to play, I believe, at Boston College this year. So you're probably looking at at least a year before he's a part of your team. Smaller, feisty, goes to the front of the net. This is why I love this player if he's sitting there for him and Bob McKenzie had him ranked at number seven but he's not number one because we're trading up for Bedard no yeah that's, that'd be beautiful Adam Fantilli you're gonna F around and move up to number two. No, his name is Dalibor Dvorsky. We talked about him last night yeah. a little bit. Grant brought him up. Uh, he's been playing over in Sweden, Czechoslovakian. He's compared to Mikel Backlund with the Calgary Flames, who's been a really distinguished two-way forward for them. 6-1, not a goal scorer, but a playmaker. And he's big, and he's got compete, and he goes to the front of the net, and he's really good at face-offs. So... He's at number one on this because I think the bigger need for this Blues team is centers. you got Snuggerud, Bolduc, Kairou. You've got Verona, Kapanen. You need a centerman. And this kid might actually be able to compete for a team this upcoming season. The one follow-up question that I would have, it's a good list. All of those guys are at least intriguing at a minimum. How far away are most of these guys? Are they all like, are any of them guys that can come in right away next year or are most of them a year, at least a year or two away? So the... the so Dvorsky, number one on this list, and Reinbacher, the defenseman, I would say maybe not even Reinbacher because he's not going to compete. I would say Dvorsky's probably the only one that's going to could compete this year because he's a little bit older than some of the other guys, but he's a guy who's been playing over in Europe, so he's not committed to a college or anything like that. That's the kid that's been playing up, right? Correct. Yeah, he's been playing up with the big guys in Sweden. 
Um, but Leonard, Wood, Jaeger, those guys are committed to college teams. So those guys, I would say you're probably looking at the same trajectory as Jimmy Snuggerud to where you're talking two years. Not this season, next season probably because where they're drafted so high. So I don't know if you're going to be selecting anybody with the exception of maybe somebody impressing at number 10 that's going to push for the NHL team this season. Frankly, I think the only teams that are going to get those guys are going to be one and two, and that's Bedard and Fantilli. Uh, for what it's worth, speaking of the NHL draft lottery and the impact of this, the Chicago Blackhawks in about two hours after uh, they were announced to have the number one overall pick had sold $2.5 million worth of season. St. Louis would have sport, sold 3.5. Yeah, for sure. The, no, the Blues wouldn't have had to sell them because they already have their You're season darn ticket allotment sold. Did People you see, actually go to those games. I think Grant tweeted it out. Did you see that the draft lottery numbers... They were one number away from getting the first overall pick. So though, for anybody that's confused by that, they pick four random numbers, yeah. numbers and each number is representative of a different combination that could be had by your team. So the Blues had four specific numbers and one of them that was p- taken out. It's almost like the Powerball. Yeah, that's what it was. Uh, yeah. Was one number away from what their combination yeah. would have been. So the winning numbers was four, five, nine, 13 for Chicago. The Blues had four, five, eight, 13. So oh, that up. close, that just makes it At least it, it wasn't worse. the last one. Yeah. If it had been the, the final ball that they had pulled yeah. out and it wasn't the hey, Blues, that would have been frustrating. It could be the Anaheim Ducks. What did you, we said? They've been favored two times. With to, Crosby and Bedard, and they lost both. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. No, they've never <laughs> selected first overall. You've been favored twice, and you've lost both of them. I will explain to Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider, coming up at the 1 o'clock hour, why I believe the Blues should select a player and trade up for a player that cannot come to St. Louis until 2026 so we'll do that coming up in the one o'clock hour but coming up next 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service tech slide for questions and answers here on 101 espn we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn you've got questions we may have the answers maybe it's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers. Brought to you by Insperity. Do HR issues have you boxed in? Expand your possibilities at Insperity.com. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. We'll have Brad Osmus, former Major League catcher and manager, joining us here on the show at 1230. Hey man, when there's controversy surrounding a catcher, we pull out the big guys. Brad Osmus, Eric Kratz, you're not getting that just anywhere other than right here on BK and Ferrario. All right, Alex, this comes from the 314. Positive Cardinals question. Is 2023 a World Series year? This is par for the course. Limp into the wild card, get hot, be the underdogs, and then get that growl back in October. Is this Mike Schilt? <laughs> no, Are they going to scratch? He, you know he ain't asking that question. Are they right going to scratch and claw their way back if into it this said one? Brandon, Brandon. I would have said for sure that is our um, boy Schilty. I like the positivity, especially on a beautiful day outside. My response to it would be in what recent history tells you that that could happen? Uh, 2019 Nationals, Blues? 2021 okay. uh, Braves, 2019 Blues, 2011 Cardinals, 2014 Royals, uh, 2018 Dodgers. Any others that you'd like me? Uh, 2022 Phillies. Any others that you'd like me to reference? 
he you, literally you, brought up one Cardinal team in there. So, yeah, well, I mean, you yeah. can't bring up every year that the Cardinals are this bad and then get back on track yeah, because it never happens. And they weren't even this bad in 2011. It never happens. I'm not even sure they went below 500 in 2011. And don't give me the 2019 Nationals team. Like they had freaking Max Scherzer on top. Cardinals have Adam Wainwright. Did you see him on Saturday? Five hey, strong in 96 miles he an hour. He looked like Max Scherzer this season. Well, yeah, yeah. To answer the question directly, I like. I think that's going to be if they end up going to the World Series. Yeah, that'll be the story. Is you were ten games out in mid-May and you found a way to get back on track. You got hot at the right time. Like that that'll be the story. But do I think this is a World Series year? No, I don't think they have the pitching right now. I'd agree. I don't, I don't think they got the pitching. Um, I think they got every other piece that you need. I think the bullpen's pretty good. I think they got the offense to do it. They just don't have the rotation to do it. And to Alex's point there of can they get it in wild card and go on a run? I I mean, they've done this. I feel like I'm Three living Groundhog years. Day. It's been the same thing where it's, oh, we're a second half team. Oh, they get hot. And then we get excited. We go, oh, my gosh, guys, I can see where they get past the Dodgers. And if they get past the Dodgers, they go on a run. Oh, if they get past the Phillies, they go on a run. And then it is, it, it's, essentially, it's <laughs> essentially the uh, – the the what is it the rocket uh gif where it's like taking off and like you get super excited and then it just spins back around and smacks onto the ground and fails yeah that's the cardinals in a nutshell what i feel like with with the cardinals right now is like the world series aspirations we thought it was going to start this year they're proving their youth still and i think it might take them a couple more years before they enter that window and by youth i mean figuring out Jordan Walker, figuring out Lars Newtbar, Dylan Carlson, how they're going to use Brennan Donovan, Nolan Gorman. Now you've got this Wilson Contreras thing to figure out, and your pitching staff is going to be gone next year. Uh, final question here. Alex, do you see the Blues either trading up or down from 10? I'll answer the, the latter first. No, they will not trade down yeah. from 10. I'd be legitimately shocked if that ended up being the case. Doug Armstrong wants to select a blue chip talent, and you don't get those guys unless you're selecting at least in the top 10. Do you think they could trade up, potentially? Well, the only way that they could trade down is if they lose all of the guys that they feel like they wanted to take at 10. If they're all gone, then you look at it and you say, okay, well, let's see if we can garner some more, maybe drop to 11 or 12. But I'm with you. I just don't see that happening. There are teams that I could see the Blues trading with to move up because they're going to have two other picks to work with if they want to move those. Like Chicago? Yeah, maybe Chicago. No, Chicago, Anaheim, Columbus, they're not moving those picks. But I could see the San, San Jose Sharks that says, look, we've had a longer rebuild than what we're at right now. If we can pick up three picks and still stay in the top 10, then maybe we'll look into giving up number four. Um, I don't think Montreal's going to move theirs. Arizona could absolutely move theirs because they already got 12. You drop down to 10 and maybe pick up one later in the first. That's a good spot to be in. And Philly's the other one that I could see trade. So I could see a move up. Trade up to four for... Matvey Mikov. That's my boy. Yeah. Yep. It's a right winger. He has been compared to Nikita Kucherov. Mm. And he won't be in St. Louis for at least the next three years. But that's not important. He's going to be back. In, but we're right where we want him, you know? He's, He's going to be here in, in 2026. That's Let's be honest. Window. Most of the guys that you draft aren't going to be significant contributors until 2026 either. Yeah. Like, as much as we talk about how, hey, you could get this guy to be up soon. Yeah, you could. And then it could take three years for him to transition and translate into real production at the NHL level. This guy has blue chip talent and he could be a legit game changer, like top line type of talent for the Blues. Very few players have that kind of potential. That's what I would be hoping to do in this year's draft. And I would actually, depending on how good you are at evaluating the talent of these young kids, you might get somebody who could contribute not this coming season, but in a year. 
I mean, I referenced this last night. Wyatt Johnston uh, with the Dallas Stars was selected in 2021, and he's now playing with them in the second round of the playoffs. So it's very possible. It just depends on who you draft. But yeah, if Mikoff's sitting there at five and you could get him, I would pounce on that. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll play better to forget it. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service tax line. If you've got a scenario, we will tell you if we are betting it or forgetting it. But coming up next, the Cardinals are making things more difficult for themselves based on their messaging with this Wilson Contreras situation. Feels like it's something a little new every single day. We'll discuss the latest next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Everyone is trying to make the best of an awkward situation, you know, trying to assure Contreras that they love him and he's their guy. But there's no getting around the fact that what the, you know, the Cardinals uh, signed him for, they're punting on it. And people around the game, you know, assume that, you know, at some point, yeah, maybe they might try. But generally speaking, they believe that his days as an everyday catcher are over. That was Buster Olney on with the balloon party earlier today. If you missed any of their show, specifically that interview, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you can go to find it. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Alex, I think that the messaging on this has led to speculation, such as what you just heard there from Buster Olney, where he says he believes, and there are some around the industry that believe, Wilson Contreras will never be an everyday catcher again for the Cardinals. I'm not sure I agree with that. I think it's possible, but I think I would bet on him sooner rather than later, honestly, getting back behind the plate on a consistent basis. But the messaging on this has been bad. Like, just flat out, it's been bad. Day one was Saturday. And at that point, Ollie Marmel came out and said there were conversations between the team with Contreras, uh, Dusty Blake, the pitching coach. They had uh, John Mosellock in there as well. They all came together and decided, for now, Wilson Contreras is going to be playing in the outfield and serving as the designated hitter. The day before, according to all reports from people that were down at the ballpark, he was taking fly balls in the outfield. So that was apparently a part of their expectation. Sunday morning, we wake up. And that is no longer the case. Now Wilson Contreras is exclusively going to be serving as the designated hitter. And there has been a plan that is now put in place on how he can get back to serving as the everyday catcher. On Saturday, they had said they're not sure that he's going to get back to being the everyday catcher. Okay, so that's one day in. And then yesterday is basically day three of this saga And now there's a meeting that has taken place with Adam Wainwright and Jack Flaherty, and they showed all of their love to Wilson Contreras. And Wilson Contreras is back in front of the media saying all of the right things on what needs to happen for him to get back behind the plate. Here's the part that's missing, though. They will not say publicly what is going on. They won't. They refuse to do it. They've said that it's basically the the pregame preparation. They will not go any more specific than that. Here's what Ollie Marmel said yesterday to Jesse Rogers of ESPN.com when Jesse pushed him on this. He said, quote, there's so many different layers and elements to what we're talking about here. We're making sure that he understands the full process of how we think through a game plan. He was then asked by Jesse Rogers of ESPN to be more specific on what that means. Quote, that's the part that I unfortunately will not disclose. That's the part that probably won't make sense to the rest of the world. I'm just not going to disclose that. 
I'll wear it until then. That's the part that'll stay in-house. And at the end of the day, maybe it won't make sense as to, to anybody else as to why we're going about it this way. But we do feel confident in the end product, end quote. I don't know if that's an Ollie decision. I don't know if that's a Mo decision. I don't know if that's a Contreras decision. I don't know or frankly care whose decision that is. It's a bad one. Keeping this in-house the way that they have is doing more to harm Wilson Contreras than it is to prop him up. My guess, Alex, is they don't want this to embarrass Wilson Contreras any more than it already has. (laughs) I don't think they realize that it's too late for that. He could not be any more embarrassed. He has been removed from his role as the everyday catcher, and it has leaked publicly now, been stated publicly, that it is because of his lack of preparation. Do you know how embarrassing that is for a player? Yeah, you're basically saying you're not a professional, and we need to make you a professional. And we have to teach you the right way to prepare, because what you've been doing is nonsense. It's kindergarten-level stuff. Now you're going to take a college-level course with catching 101 for the St. Louis Cardinals. I like Ollie. I appreciate his candor to the media. I prefer it that way. I think it's better for everybody. He's very honest. I think he needs to be more honest here. And if it's a decision from the front office where they're saying, hey, keep this stuff in-house, whoever's decision it is, I think it's been one that ends up making everybody look worse, and it invites speculation from media, from players, from other executives across Major League Baseball. They are inviting and creating their own problems with this. Yeah, it just it looks bad on the organization because now all of this is is just everybody spewing out of, oh, well, he's probably never going to catch again, and what are the Cardinals doing? And this is just a laundry list of a season of these t- this team making very questionable moves when all of that could be silenced if you would just sit there in front and say, here's why we did it, here's our plan, Wilson Contreras is going to be back behind the plate. And none of this, well, we're going to keep this in-house. You know what, when I read through this and now hearing it again with Jesse Rogers' piece, the quote from Ali before he says, well, unfortunately, I can't disclose that, where he talks about we're making sure he understands the full process. Tinfoil theory here. It feels like they're going to pull him into a room and say, Wilson, we want you to be more like Yadier Molina. We're gonna I think ha- they've already done that. We're going to have you be Yadier Molina, and you're not going to be back behind the plate until you're Yadi. The pitchers want a catcher who tells them what to do, and they do it without questioning it. We want you to be like that. And guess what? You can't recreate Yadier Molina. As much as you want to recreate and put him in a film session every single day to watch how Yadier Molina, hell, they might fly Yadi in so that he can go through a coaching session with Wilson. None of that's going to work. So to sit there and just continue to say, well, we're going to keep this in-house and protect Wilson Contreras, you're not protecting him. You're making it look worse for him, and then you're making him answer more and more questions about this when in all reality – Guess what? All of this noise is distracting him from what he should be focusing on, and that's catching. From the 314, guys, uh, Ollie is talking down to fans. He's basically saying that fans are dumb. So that's something that I, yeah, I, I disagree, disagree with. with. I, I think that this quote has been misinterpreted by people. Ollie is not saying uh, that part won't make sense to the rest of the world because he's saying you guys are dumb, we're dumb, we won't understand what they're doing. He's saying the way that they're handling it won't make sense to the rest of the world by not disclosing what specifically has gone wrong. And he's right. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't think that they're going about this the right way. 
I think they announced something on Saturday that was halfway thrown together. They did not have the plan fully in place clearly yet, or at least it was not communicated on every level of the organization. And ever since then, they've been backtracking. We got to the point yesterday where I thought they were going to announce that Adam Wainwright was going to be throwing to Wilson Contreras. Like I, I would expect when Wayno takes the mound for his next start, Wilson Contreras will be behind the plate. Now that's easy to do because Wayno calls his own game with pitch calm, but I think that's going to be the start of inserting him back into that role as the everyday catcher. I think in the next couple of weeks, we're going to see Wilson Contreras back as the everyday catcher for the Cardinals. And they'll say, okay, everything's fixed. Will it actually be fixed? I don't know. I would say probably not. I think Wilson Contreras is who he is as a catcher right now. And you signed him to be that guy. But what is so frustrating to me is I think what's actually happening here. You said scapegoat earlier today, Alex. I think that's the right word for it. I think the Cardinals needed to instill an artificial level of confidence into this rotation. I think the rotation was leaking confidence and they said, all right, we'll change something. This is your get out of jail free card. What if you throw to Andrew Kisner? Would that make you feel better? And I think the pitcher said, yeah, that'll make us feel better. That'll make us more confident in what what we're throwing. Whether that is fair or not does not matter. That's, I think, what happened here. And that's how Wilson Contreras ended up losing his job. I think the Cardinals chose to side with their pitchers over their $87 million catcher. And I think that was the wrong decision, personally. I think they should have told the pitchers, execute better. It's your fault. You have to wear this. And at some point, you have to accept that you have been the problem. And it it doesn't feel like they're willing to do that. I hate to break it to people, but Andrew Kisner's been behind the plate the last two games. And while there's been some meaty balls put right over the plate for the hitters. And And they were good. They only won run last night. You're absolutely correct. And they were saved by a Brendan Donovan throw that probably couldn't happen again if you tried it. But that's... That's the bigger issue for me is you are essentially throwing a player under the bus. And we're getting a ton of texts that are saying we have no idea what we're talking about. And uh, he's bad at pitch calling and they made the right decision, whatever it might be. I think he is. <laughs> like I, 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 This is where it's hard for me to discuss this because I think what the texters are saying about Wilson Contreras's weaknesses as a catcher are true. And that was true when the Cardinals gave him $87 million and they accepted it then and they are rejecting it now. And And that is on the Cardinals. Yeah. And you're not not on Wilson Contreras. And you're not all of a sudden going to be able to call effective pitches, even if you sit him in a film room for a month straight and have him watch stuff. It's not going to be in the cards because now you're also going to have that doubt from the pitchers, I would imagine, on the mound. But here's the other thing. You threw the guy under the bus who you basically committed to five years to be your catcher. And back to pitching staff where three out of those five guys will not be back next season. How does that math work out right now? Because now this guy knows that if he messes up, you're going to back the pitching staff and not him. So he's going to be playing with a little bit of looking over my shoulder. And now you're bringing in a, a status quo for a pitching staff that, hey, if it's not working in our favor, we blame the catcher. and We want Andrew Kisner back there. Better to forget it coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up and we're here to make the call. It's PK and Ferrario's bet it or forget it on 101 ESPN brought to you by train heating and cooling. Visit traininfo.com. It's hard to stop a train.
Kyle and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line for better to forget it. You give us a scenario, we'll tell you if we are betting it or forgetting it. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, Brad Ausmus, former Major League Manager and catcher, will join the show. Very excited to get his thoughts on the Wilson Contreras situation and how it has been handled. All right, Alex, here's mine for today. Better to forget it. Wilson Contreras starts the next game that Adam Wainwright starts for the Cardinals. I'm going to forget this one because really? as much as I'd like to buy into that tinfoil, I, the Cardinals can't put on this like whole charade shir- shir- of, I almost said charade and charade's not a word. <laughs> I don't think so. I like charade where you're going was it. where I was going. I was trying to make it sound French. They can't put on this whole thing of, oh, well, Wilson Contreras needs some work. And then five, six days later, Hey, Wilson Contreras is back behind the plate. No, I'm we not. Fixed him. Yeah, we fixed him. It took a week. I think this is going to be more. I would say it's more likely. Nope, not playing that. I would say I would bet it would be in June that we see Wilson Contreras back behind the plate. Yeah, I'm going to forget this, too. I I kind of agree with Alex. I I don't think you can do this whole charade and end up putting him right behind the home plate on Wayno's next start. I, I think you stick with Kisner or Barrera. I think those are going to have to be the guys that end up catching Adam Wainer. I, I, if you're going to do this like the Cardinals have, you probably shouldn't see Contreras behind the plate till like the all-star break at best. Oh, I, I am 100% betting this. I absolutely believe that Contreras will be catching Adam Wainwright. And the way that they'll sell it is it's not calling the game. Wayno is helping him learn like how to call, yes, how to call the game. While he is out there, he's getting experience and seeing from a proven veteran. It's like when you're driving with your permit and your dad's in the passenger seat yelling, stop it. <laughs> it it's yeah, basically just like that. I think that's what they're going to do. I think he will be the designated catcher for Adam Wainwright over the next two weeks. And then maybe you work him in to work with one of the other starters here in the not too distant future. I I think that's what they're going to do. Alex, what do you have for us for better or forget it? Better or forget it, guys. Now that we know that the Blues will be selecting 10th, that will be the only selection they have in the first round this year. Meaning those other two picks are gone via trade not that they just um, get rid of them oh we can't just forfeit them yeah you can't uh, just I'm, pretend that they're not there I, i'm gonna forget it i i think they will potentially do one select with one other of those first round picks i i think they may send one that is either for a player like one of those rfas that we've brought up in the past or they end up putting one on a defenseman attach it to a defenseman to ship them away but i think they will only move one of those back end of the first round picks i think they'll use the other one for another selection I like where your head's at with this. Yeah, you do. It's I like two peas in a pod. I kind of want to bet this because they'll bet trade it. up with one of them and then attach the other one to a player to make a trade. I could see something like that. So because I like to live optimistically. Yeah, Tanner. I'm going to say I'm betting this. T-Bone, what do you have for better or forget it? Bet it or forget it. The Cardinals opening day starting catcher is not on the roster for next year. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Seriously. I'm going to forget it. I, I think they're going to be back in on the Wilson Contreras stuff. <laughs> I I think they are already regretting making this move. Okay, that way. <laughs> Every comment that I hear from the organization. <laughs> well, let, let me clarify. The amount of beep, 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 beep I think they're regretting beep, beep. taking him out from behind the plate. And I think they are at every turn now trying to smooth things over to get him back as their everyday. You think catcher. they're regretting not keeping things behind closed doors more? 
Yeah. They didn't learn from the O'Neill yeah, one. They didn't learn from the O'Neill thing. <laughs> so here's the thing that I find. Like, there was no way that they were going to be able to keep this behind closed doors. they were we already were doing already it. already talking well, about it. And, and honestly, Jack Flaherty started this. Yes. Jack Flaherty's comments after his start and his body language when Wilson Contreras went for the mound visit, Jack Flaherty started all of this. Yeah. Well, they that was the last time that he started behind the plate. Yeah. Like, he, he made that start with uh, Jack Flaherty last Thursday. The next day, he was in the lineup as the DH, and the Cardinals said, oh, no, 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 no. This is about... Day off. This know. is about him against a lefty. This gives us our best lineup against left-handed pitchers. <laughs> and Drew and Kisner's yeah. better. And everybody looked like, Kis- Kisner makes your lineup better? Yeah. He had started four of the previous eight games. It was very clear they were already going away from Wilson Contreras as a quote-unquote everyday catcher, and then they decided to go down this path. Uh, so, yeah, I... Yeah. I think that he's going to be your starting catcher on opening day. I would year. too. I would bet that. See, I I don't think that the pitcher that's starting that day is on the roster. You thinking they're going to trade Wilson Contreras for Sean Murphy? No, but I, I, I'm not convinced that he's the opening day catcher next year. If you have any questions of his preparedness, even though you knew that when you signed him, you can't go into opening day next year and say, we're going to try this again. You can't. You have to have him as a DH remove him to the outfield. And you have to go find somebody that's going to be an everyday catcher. And then Contreras can kind of serve the role of, uh, Dalton Varsha, who's now in Toronto, but last year in Arizona. He was basically an everyday center fielder, and then when they needed a backup catcher for Carson Kelly, he would move behind the plate. If you have any thought process at all of, you know what, we're going to continue to experiment of, can he get better at this? If that is the question you have to ask yourself going into the offseason, you have to find another catcher to be behind the plate that has a better preparedness that you like and what you're looking for in a catcher everyday basis. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In about 15 minutes, we're diving into the junk drawer, but coming up next, Brad Ausmus, former Major League catcher and Major League manager as well. Uh, there's nobody really better to talk about something like this, where we've got a catcher controversy here in St. Louis. We'll talk to Brad Ausmus about the Wilson Contreras situation next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Brad Ausmus sp- spent 18 years as a major league catcher behind the plate. He has also served as a manager in major league baseball in Detroit and Los Angeles as well. And he joins us now via the 101 ESPN hotline. Brad, it's always a pleasure to be able to catch up with you, my friend. How you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're doing all right. It's been a weird start to the season here in St. Louis, to say the least. They're 12 and 24, Brad. Uh, they're the worst record in the National League so far this year. And the strangest thing that we've seen so far in a season with a lot of twists and turns was this weekend when the Cardinals announced that Wilson Contreras was not going to be serving as a catcher, at least for the foreseeable future. Instead, he would be serving as their primary designated hitter while they worked with him on his pregame preparation. And so that's why we wanted to call you because you've served in the role as a manager where you work with catchers and you served in that role as an everyday catcher as well. When you hear all of that and you hear that Wilson Contreras, who's been an all-star in this league, has won a World Series as a catcher, has been removed, at least for the time being, as the everyday catcher here in St. Louis. How did that hit your ears? I was a little surprised. You know, you, you go out and sign a free agent catcher to that type of contract. You assume the position he plays being part of the value of the contract. Uh, but I do kind of have to give credit to the Cardinals organization because they are 
facing this head on. Uh, they're not kowtowing to, to anybody. They're saying, listen, this is a problem. We need to play better. We need to fix it. Uh, he's a veteran. He's making good money, but the team has to win and the team comes first. So I, I kind of give him, as surprising as it is, I give him credit for really facing this head on. I am surprised by that, Brad, because, I mean, so many people in St. Louis are reacting like, oh, the Cardinals handled this poorly. How did it get to this point? Just from a manager's perspective, would you have preferred this to stay maybe a little bit more quiet as it's gone along, or do you think that it has been handled the right way? Uh, you can't keep this quiet. Uh, everyone's going to notice if if Wilson Contreras is DHing every day and not catching. That's not something that can be handled quietly. So when you go through something like this, Brad, and you're looking into the pregame preparation for a catcher, like I said, you you served in the role as a manager. You have been the guy that is preparing for the game as the catcher yourself. Can you take us into that work, what it looks like for you to prepare for a game? What, What goes into some of that for maybe us in the audience or us as hosts that have never played in that role? Well, I think... For years, probably the last half of my career, about 10 years as a player, that's what I did. I, I prepared the opposing lineup scouting reports prior to every uh, every series from the time I was, uh, oh, I'd say probably right around 2000 until the end of my career. And that, that spanned from the Tigers to the Astros uh, all the way through the Dodgers when I was a backup to Russell Martin. Um, and I think, in fact, that's probably part of the reason the Dodgers signed me at the time was that they had a young Russell Martin and, and they wanted him to kind of learn. And so I, I remember distinctly sitting in the food room with Russell Martin and, and often A.J. Ellis and, and the bullpen catcher at the time, uh, Mike Borzello, uh, who actually worked with Wilson Contreras in Chicago. Uh, and we prepared the scouting reports uh, on a regular basis, on a series-by-series basis, um, throughout the entire season, and that's that's the reports that we use to attack the opposing hitters. Uh, so I'm I'm very familiar with the process, but every team's process is a little different, and the process nowadays is certainly involves a lot more data. Um, but you're still boiling it down to strengths and weaknesses of the, of the pitcher versus strengths and weaknesses of the hitter. Brett, have you seen guys get significantly better with that over time? How difficult is it to teach to a catcher, especially some someone like Wilson Contreras, for example? Who, I mean, he's not a 22-year-old kid at this point in his career. He is a, he's a proven big league player. How difficult is that to teach at this point in a player's career? Uh, it's much easier to teach nowadays than it used to be because there is so much more information and there's so much more preparation. Um I would say the irony of it as a catcher is as you get older, the experience helps greatly because you recognize situations within the game or with a hitter immediately as opposed to having to be told about them after the fact when you first get up to the big league. So um, it definitely can be taught. It usually gets taught easier. It usually gets better with age. You don't see a lot of catchers become worse game uh, callers or preparers uh, as they get older. Um uh, but a lot of time, it just depends on how the organization prepares and whether, the, you know, you got to give a little bit of leeway to, to Wilson Contreras. He's with the Cubs for all those years, um, prepared a particular way. Now he's going to a new organization that may prepare a little bit differently. Uh, he's probably got some thoughts of his own because of experience. And, and uh, there could be some bumps in the road, but it wouldn't shock me if he was back behind the plate again at some point.
Brad, the, the other question that we've been seeing a lot of when it comes to all of this with Wilson Contreras and the struggles with the pitching staff this season has brought up, you know, how much impact has, has Pitchcom had on all of these things that have come up for the Cardinals this season? Uh, in your opinion, how much impact do you feel like that could be having on both Wilson Contreras and the pitching staff? There, there is an impact, uh, a little bit because of Pitchcom, a little bit because of the pitch clock. You don't have as much time to think things through. And as a catcher, you're you're basically in your mind running through a checklist of items before you call each pitch. And, you know, if there's, if there's a dozen items you run through, you immediately, because of the situation, you can discount seven or eight of them. Um, you still have to run through that check, checklist. And if, if you've got 15 to 20 seconds to figure this out, uh, it does speed up the process. And that includes oftentimes having to get signs from the bench. So um, I would say it, it has an impact. It probably takes an adjustment to, do, to deal with it. Uh, but eventually, I, I do believe most catchers will, will, will handle it fine. Brad Ausmus is our guest here on 101 ESPN. Former Major League Baseball manager, spent a number of years at, behind the plate as a catcher as well. Uh, Brad, I, I just wanted to ask you, you said at, at the end of one of your answers a, a couple of minutes ago that you believe that at some point Contreras will be able to get back to being a catcher. When... When you're a team, I am curious, maybe you had these conversations, whether it was with the Tigers or with the Angels in your role as the manager there. When you're looking for a free agent catcher, I, I would assume that the Cardinals knew because a lot of us on the outside looking in knew Wilson Contreras' strength was not what he did behind the plate as a game caller. His strength was what he brings to the table as a bat. When you're going through the, whether it's the interview process or the uh, evaluation period of what he's going to bring to you as a catcher, shouldn't they have known beforehand that this is who he's going to be as a player? Is is that a fair critique of the organization and their handling of this? Um, you know, each organization has different needs. I will say catchers, generally speaking, unless they're somewhat of an elite, an elite offensive player, catchers are going to have a much bigger impact in the catcher's box and in the batter's box. Uh, you know, you talk about calling a game probably being the most important part, but um, you know, getting pitches called receiving blocking balls in the dirt, controlling the running game, which is the importance of which has been added to with the, with the uh, two disengagements. Um, it's a, it's, it's certainly an organizational decision on what your needs are going into the following season as, as you sign free agents. Um but I do personally believe the impact is greater on the defensive side. Now, I'm a little bit biased. I was a, a defensive catcher, so <laughs> take that with a grain of salt. Uh, Brad, kind of getting away from the Wilson Contreras thing a little bit and just looking big picture at the Cardinals, has uh, it'd be a dumb question to ask you if it surprised you with the performance that's taken place for the Cardinals, but what about their struggles has stuck out to you? Uh, you know, we had a similar season in 2005. I think what's going to end up being a similar season with the Astros in 2005, we ended up going to the World Series, and uh, it's pretty well chronicled. You may remember we, we started the season in Houston 15 and 30, 15 games under 500, and, and that was at the middle of May. And uh, we were we were written off for dead. Um, so I, I kind of look at the Cardinals in a similar fashion in that they have a lot of guys who are underperforming, and in baseball, water tends to find its level. Um, you know, maybe as players age, maybe it, it doesn't quite find the same level, but it's still going to be somewhat near the production that you've seen in the past. At least that's generally speaking. 
So I feel like the Cardinals are probably underperforming right now in terms of their record, and there will be a correction. And if you think about the Cardinals a few years back, what they win 17 in a row uh, when, uh, when they went to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I, I just – it doesn't always happen I, in fast food, social media time where fans like, like to get upset if things aren't going perfectly for six straight months. Uh, it gives everyone something to talk about. I, I just, I'm not a panic person. I think you, uh, you got to take you, you got to, you got to understand it's a six month season. You're a little bit over a six of the way through it. If they play well for the next four and a half months, especially with the expanded playoff, the Cardinals will be fine. Brad, I'm glad you brought up that team in 2005. It's somebody, it's a team that we've referenced because it's one of three in the last 30 years that lost at least 20 of their first 32 games that went on to make the playoffs. It's you guys, uh, the 01 Oakland A's that ended up having the Moneyball movie made out of them, (laughs) and then the 2014 Pirates. What changed in your mind for that team in 2005? How was it able to come together and you guys to stick together to eventually go on that run to the World Series? You know, there wasn't a, there wasn't a, an instance or a game that turned it around. You just you, you can't have a rearview mirror. There's nothing you can do about the record at this point in the season. The record is what it is. You can only do something about the next pitch, the next inning, the next game. And I think if you remove the rearview mirror and keep looking forward, that helps. It helps focus on what you have to do, and, and it keeps the focus very simple. Um, it's it's a it's a very long season. I have kind of reiterated a couple times, but it's a very long season, and uh, you know sometimes decisions have to be made for the deadline, which seems to shorten the season, the trade deadline. When I, when I say deadline, um, but again, the Cardinals right now they have guys that aren't playing up to what their norm is, and generally players finish the season somewhat near their norm. Brad, final question. We'll get you out of here on this. And thanks so much for the time, as always. You guys had Roy Oswalt, Andy Pettit, and Roger Clemens leading the front line of that rotation. Uh, the Cardinals starters have been, so far this year, at least the weakness of their team. Do you think the Cardinals have the pitching to make the kind of run that you guys did in 2005? I actually like the starters that they have. Um, and I do think a couple of them fall into the underperforming category right now. Uh, so if, if they can if they can start to pitch a little bit better and the offense starts to click at the same time, you can run off a streak of, of 10 out of 15 or 12 out of 18 or something like that. And, and all of a sudden, the, the record starts to look a little bit more palatable. Brad Osmus is a former Major League manager, former Major League catcher as well, was a part of that 2005 Houston Astros team that started out the season 15-30 and 30 and then ended up going to the World Series. Brad, we appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hopefully we'll talk with you again soon when the Cardinals are uh, getting closer to being back on track. All right, that sounds good, guys. You got it. That's Brad Osmus joining us here on 101 ESPN. Sincerely appreciate him joining us, as always, here on 101 ESPN. It's interesting. I like that we had two different perspectives. Yeah. Two guys that have played the position at a very high level with Eric Kratz earlier today, and then Brad Osmus, who served in the role as a catcher, one of, I think he's sixth all-time in innings caught as a catcher in Major League Baseball. So the guy has seen his fair share of uh, pregame reports and then served in the role as a manager, and he was on a team that severely underperformed the way that this Cardinals team has Alex would you make of him saying that a he doesn't think that the Cardinals are in the wrong here he actually likes the way that they've handled it and b 
He's also optimistic that the Cardinals are going to get this thing back on track and that they can go on a run the way that his team did in 05. Well, the optimistic side of it, let's start there. I mean, I can see where he's coming from, and I'm sure there's a group of individuals out there that feel the same way. I mean, Buster Olney told the balloon party that, that essentially he believes that they're still the crown jewel in the NL Central. I might not be on that optimistic side, but if it is to Brad Osmus's point of individuals who are in the underperforming category, and he mentioned the pitching staff, if we're talking about at least two, three guys that are in that underperforming category, then yeah, you could push yourself back into it. I was really surprised when he said that he thought that they handled it the right way uh, because he's right. There was no way to keep this secret. You were going to know sooner or later, but I'm on the other side of the fence thinking that the way that they've gone about it has been handled very poorly just because of the the focus on Wilson Contreras and then the you know secrecy of what well, we're going to keep it in-house of what the problems are, but you being able to read between the lines, it just seems like you don't want to point fingers when you're already pointing fingers. And to that point, that's how you create a divide in a clubhouse. Brad would know more than I would, but to me, if you're pointing fingers at one guy and you're taking sides, it causes problems. T-Bone, I want to ask you this. Because I think we have a little bit of a different perspective on the Contreras situation than you do. I respect the fact that you've been stern and staunchly on your side and of wrong. not necessarily. I think you can have different perspectives without <laughs> one being right and the other being wrong. If we had the squirt bottle, you'd be getting squirt right now. You're more in line with Brad Ausmus, I think it's fair to say, where you say, do I think that the Cardinals have handled this correctly? Maybe not, but... There might be something here with Wilson Contreras where he does need to prepare a little better. And maybe the Cardinals aren't completely wrong on that side of things. When you heard this from Osmus, what was your reaction to it? So I I kind of agree with Osmus. I I think they've handled it. I I think there are steps that could have been taken to make this better. Like, you know, him not finding out from the media he was being pulled as a catcher and not finding out until he saw Tres Brera in the clubhouse. Like, they should talk to the guy first <laughs> yeah, before they make those kind of moves. Trez, but, what are you doing up here? Yeah. Trez, my man, did they get rid of Kisner? Oh, <laughs> oh, oh sorry that you're uh, sorry you had to hear that, Kiz. Oh, sorry, Kiz. Uh, but I, I, I think when it comes to Contreras, look, I understand what you guys have been saying about, you know, the Cardinals knew what they were signing up for. And I agree with that. They should have known, hey, Contreras, not a good game caller. That was known across baseball. But there is something to the fact of the matter that he should be better as a, pre- a prepared player. He should be preparing better. And if that's a major concern for the Cardinals, that's why I said if if he can't learn and can't pre- prep himself better for games, they need to go get a catcher in the offseason that is going to do that, and they can make whatever they want with Contreras, DH, outfield, whatever. And also to our point earlier in the show where we had the conversation of, hey, the Cardinals, like Ali, he's not, he's not going to disclose what they're talking about internally to to the media. Actually, I'm okay with that. I, I like the fact that they're doing that because basically if they want, if they told us, does it really change anything for us? Because they'll say, well, you know, we want him to do this, this, and this. Well, all we're going to do is we're going to go to Ali Marmol every day and go, Hey, how's he doing on that checklist? How's he doing on that checklist? Is the checklist done? No, I, I think saying, Hey, we're drawing the line right here. You'll find out when Contreras is back. When we're happy, you'll see him behind home plate. I like that they're drawing the line. No more questions need to be asked of what's he got to do. I, I like the fact that they're going to keep it internal. That That's the way I would handle it if I were in Ollie Marmol's shoes of, hey, yeah, we're not going to disclose what he needs to do because all it's going to do is it's going to open up to more questions and it's going to be allowed to bring it up more and more and more. Now it is, hey, he's a DH. Don't worry about it. You'll find out when he's behind the plate when you see him in the starting lineup. There's a C next to his name. I will add this because I think we're, what you're saying there is interesting. And we've said all along, Alex, that – we think that Wilson Contreras has handled this all as well as anybody possibly could. To Tanner's point, what if he's handling it well because he knows he's been in the wrong? 
What if he's handling it well because he looked at himself in the mirror and said, you know what? They're right. I haven't been doing everything that I can to prepare for these games the way that I need to in order to be the catcher that I told them I was going to be. And I am fully committing myself because of the embarrassment that has been the start to this season, the embarrassment of this is speculation, reckless speculation sounder. Um, The pitcher's probably going to management and saying, we don't want to throw to Wilson Contreras any longer. And he looked at himself in the mirror hard and said, yeah, I've got $87 million, but what does that matter if I'm not actually doing what I was signed to do? If that is the case, everything that he's saying would make a lot more sense. It would be a lot easier to be in that position saying the things that he is saying if he agreed with their assessment and said, yeah, I do need to be better. And I am going to really reinvent myself as a maybe not defense first catcher. I don't think he's ever going to be that but a better defensive player. Maybe he's doing what Jordan Cairo hasn't. Maybe he's taking it upon himself right now to say, you know what? All right, I'm ready. I'm ready to turn the corner in my career and be a better game caller. Even that's like a five out of 10. Maybe he was a two prior and he's going to be a five now. This could, in the end, and maybe Ollie's not crazy on this part, end up being a good thing for the Cardinals in the long run of things, even though I think it has still been handled really poorly in every possible way. Here's my issue with that. What happens if the pitchers still struggle with Andrew Kisner behind the plate? And then we're just going to be like, oh. I I think you have to have on the – I've said – I don't think this is 100% Contreras' fault. I think there is about 20% of this pie of the blame game that belongs on Contreras and the staff getting him ready. But what I'm saying is if they still struggle and then you put Wilson Contreras back there and they continue to struggle, now people are going to be going right back to Wilson Contreras again of like, oh, well, Wilson Contreras is not. And my other problem with this thought process is I don't I don't agree with the sentiment of, well, spring training, a lot of these guys were at the World Baseball Classic, so we couldn't work with them. I don't think it's about that. It's I think not. that's a nonsensical, because, like, look over here. Because kind of if preparation is his problem, it's not the matter of, oh, well, he and Jack Flaherty don't mesh really well together. If the problem, which, by the way, Jack Flaherty was, you know, at spring training with these guys. If the problem was preparation for Wilson Contreras, you should have known that week one of spring training. I think they did know it. I, I think they but did know they thought it was going to get better. But then address it's, it. It's important. Uh, Wilson Contreras said this yesterday. Spring training preparation is different. It is very different. And I actually, like, that part I totally believe. So then what about the first month of the season then? I think they were trying to work. This is my guess. This is pure speculation. There's no way for us to know because they're not telling us. My guess is. Which is the problem in itself. Sure. I don't have a problem with them not telling us. My guess is they were trying to address this internally over the course of the first, you know, four weeks of the season. We did see them go more towards Wilson or towards Andrew Kisner for like an eight game stretch. And I'm guessing that the pitchers came back and told them, I feel more comfortable throwing to Andrew Kisner. The numbers don't back that up. They do. They do. His catcher's ERA is much Um, better. Like significant. I mean, it's like a point and a half difference. That could very well be like whether you think it's causation or correlation. I'm I'm not totally sure. Or maybe the ERA is better because the defensive players aren't making errors in the game that we've seen. That wouldn't go into ERA, but fair. Um, (laughs) I. Sorry, <laughs> you got me. <laughs> My tone was bad there. <laughs> I, the reason why I bring it up is because I, I'm guessing they have been trying to address this. And it comes to a head where you have to say, it's time for us to go all in and try to try to solve this problem. Now, 
I would also add this. I hope that the pitchers are doing the same thing. I hope that the pitchers are also looking themselves in the mirror and saying, man, I got to be better. You know who's been terrible so far this year? Steven Matz. Is that a catcher problem? No, man. You've got two pitches to throw, and you're throwing one of them 65% of the time. So guess what? That's a you problem. You know who else has been really bad this year? Jack Flaherty. Is that because of the pitches or because of the catcher? It's because he has no command of his fastball like 70% of the time this year. That's on Jack. You know who else hasn't been good for like half of his starts this year? Miles Michaelis. Is that because of him or because of the catcher? That's because him. So I do tend to lean more on your side, Alex. I think they underestimated what the defensive lapses were going to be. The preparation was going to be in terms of the change from the Cubs to the Cardinals in terms of the change from Yachty to Wilson Contreras. I think they underestimated all of that. And I think it punched him in the face in the first month of the season. They didn't know how to respond to it. And now they're trying to address it. And they have failed spectacularly in their messaging of all of this. And it's led to what is a dumpster fire inside of a dumpster fire inside of one more dumpster fire. And then it made me look like an ass on the radio being a jerk to Alex. Coming up next, we're diving into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. the junk drawer coming up in about five minutes or so the cardinals got their uh get out of jail free card for their pitching staff we'll talk about that you coming up in about five minutes again, then i'll try to yeah we're gonna teach you the difference between a run and an earned run see so you gotta I, learn today which both of you just complain all the time that era is a joke of a stat but that's I, cool yeah i like fip and x like me and, backing plus minus i get yelled at when i do it when i don't do it well bacon go on let's go i have What's a tone problem yeah, and i'm yeah. trying i i've been working on it it how I'm is like Wilson Contreras, where yeah. it doesn't matter how much I work on it. It's still how is Kara not yelled at you because of your tone problem? So here's my problem. I, I recognize it when it happens, but I can't stop it from happening. <laughs> so I, I'm really going to say the same I'm thing sorry. with F-bombs and family AKA. functions. I recognize it. I do it, but I can't stop it. AKBK's filter's not working. Yeah, I, I'm really good at recognizing, oh, man, that sounded really bad. I, I sounded like a jerk there. Uh, but I still continue to sound like a jerk. There's really no way to stop me. It's just part of my being. All right, T-Bone, uh, speaking of sounding like a jerk, you had one of the most ridiculous statements I've ever heard in my life oh, yeah. last night. You're and you said you on. wanted to talk about it today yeah. in the juncture. What do you got for us? Yeah, so make sure you text in when you agree with this take. Smash it's a that hot, like button. It, it, smash that like button. Follow me at T-Bone101ESPN <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, I, this is a hot take, and I'm just going to throw it out there. This is a safe space. That's a hot take. Live music stinks. I hate going to concerts. What? I went to a concert last night with my dad. He had tickets. <laughs> and I went and watched it. I, well, I've never been bad. to a concert where I'm like, man, I really enjoyed myself. Have you no, gone to a I concert to, of a band you actually yeah, like? I, I, like? I like AJR. Seen him in person. I like uh, the Black Keys. Seen him in person. I love Zach Brown Band. You seen him multiple like, times in person. You didn't like Zach Brown How do you or not the like Black Zach Keys? Brown Band? Like the Why concert, it, like the the way they do it on stage is good. But like, I, I don't like going to concerts because I don't understand what they're singing. All all I hear is the instruments. They never have a good. They never have a good blend where I can hear what they're singing. 
There was one song last night where I was listening to it and I went, oh, yeah, okay, I can actually pick up what the lyrics are. The rest of it was the guitar, the bass, the drums. I'm like, man, it's just a bunch of mummering that's coming across the microphone. And the All whole right. reason I listen to music is so I can sing along, not was, just go, man, that guitar. Was it in the water somewhere? Was it because Great you song. couldn't hear them, the mic was it good, or was it because you were nine beers deep before they entered the stage? It might have been both. <laughs> But, for, but every concert I've been to, I've always loved going, man, I feel like I didn't hear half the songs I've heard. One of my favorite things you're to you're drinking do. at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. No, <laughs> no. Like, I've gone to, con- like, before I could drink, before I was 21 and go to concerts, I'd leave going, man, I feel like I didn't, like, understand half of the songs because I can't hear what they're did saying. You, did you know the songs prior to getting there? <laughs> yes. I knew some. Of, I knew most of the songs going to the concert last night. I've never had that and, issue and before half, ever. Oh, my God. Yeah, me either. Like, I go see concerts and, like, Katie, like, I, I saw Kenny Chesney and uh, Dan and Shay when they were at Bush Stadium recently. 314. One of in the best concerts I've ever been to. Almost always bad. Also, some people do need the, the uh, what is it called? The Do you need hearing tuner. aids already? The, the tuner. Auto-tune. Auto-tune. Some people need that because you go yeah, and see well, them in concert. That's when you learn who the actual good musicians Yeah, I was going to say, you need to listen to better musicians. There's, there's a lot of people that are not good live. And when they're not good yeah. live, it means they're not actually a particularly good music. Well, singer, at least. Some of them are good musicians. They're good yeah. with some kind of instrument, but they're like, not good at singing. I, I had to go see New Kids on the Block, and I hated everything about that concert. And I know never to go to that concert again because that live music sucked. Meanwhile, They're there are bad. other individuals. Like, I went to uh, Nathaniel Rightliff in the Night Sweats. Amazing. Oh, Amazing. Yeah. Con- I'm not a huge fan of their music, but he was just an incredible performer, and the songs live were, were great. Justin Timberlake, another one. The performance was amazing. Uh, Bruno Mars, yep. spectacular live. Really good show Boys live. to men. Loved it. <laughs> Loved it. You go for the good music, people. You're, you're, you're tricking yourself. No. I, there's never been a good live concert. Are you concert. kidding me? I'll make love to you live just makes the entire stadium lose it. They love that song. <laughs> I wasn't sure where Alex was going with that take. I mean? didn't, and you, we were like making weird eye contact. Well, it was I a very awkward a bit, moment. I'm just telling you, that song live is better than on you the album. T-Bone, I'm going to put out a tweet. I'll, yeah. I'll ask this on a poll at BK Sports hey, is where you can go to find your, them. Your, your vote won't show up who voted for what. So you tell the truth, audience. Yeah, it's anonymous. No. So live Backstreet music Boys is not live. I better. couldn't hear anything because there were a billion screaming women around How me. do you want me to phrase this? Do you like going to live Do you concerts? like live music you better than live music? The, recorded? the recorded? Okay. Do you prefer live music? Yeah, because like I, I love listening to music. You guys know I listen to all kinds. Like I, yeah, I listen to Sinatra, Sorry, Christmas. Sorry, Ivan I listen to like, isn't uh, live anymore. I've been listening to Europe a lot lately. I listen to some modern bands as well. <laughs> this is the problem. He listens to that, and then he goes and sees concerts. He's like, I know, I like, like, like my dad was like, hey, I got tickets to Gary Clark Jr. I was like, okay, I'll be able to listen to it. I listened to it. I started to memorize some of the songs. I went, okay, I like this one. I kind of like that one. And I go to the concert, and I'm like, hey, did he sing a song? Like, all I heard was, bom, 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 bom. Coming I, up next, the, the Cardinals pitching staff just used their get-out-of-jail-free card. Now it's time for them to figure it out. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Just say, <laughs> <laughs> <Long> side, <laughs> I've never had that happen. <laughs> Long side, uh, we shouldn't return with the audio. This what, that, that's karma. That's what yeah. you get for canceling you just it on the BK last segment. Your own segment open. 
<laughs> and don't, don't return with the audio here. Alongside, <laughs> I'm Brandon Kylie. That's Tanner Hendrickson. Uh, T Bone took us back from break there. That was him. <laughs> Guys, the Cardinals pitching staff just got out, got their one get out of jail free card. So Buster Olney was on with the morning show earlier today, and he restated something that he tweeted out the other day. Here's what he put on Twitter. The perspective of numerous rival staffers and executives around Major League Baseball is this. If the Cardinals pitchers wanted Wilson Contreras to be their catcher, he would be the Cardinals catcher right now. I think there's a lot of truth to that. My guess is either the Cardinals pitchers were the ones that ignited this change or they saw the change happening and they certainly didn't push back against it from Cardinals management. And so what I would like to add to that perspective is this. Man, now it's on you. Yesterday, Miles Michaelis was fine. I didn't think he was great. I think some of the um, excitement about his start was a little overstated. He went four and a third innings. His entire role for this team is to be a guy that goes deep into the game, and he didn't do that for you yesterday. But he kept it close. He allowed you to stay in the game. Like He was fine. Steven Matz has been bad. Jack Flaherty's been bad. Jake Woodford's been actively hurting the rotation. And Adam Wainwright, I thought Damn. was I thought was fine. <laughs> I thought Adam Wainwright was fine on Saturday. And then it kind of blew up for him, but they were unearned runs, Alex, because there was an error uh when yeah, they took because place. ERA is such an important stat so, when it comes to pitchers, that's right? Important guys? To keep in mind as Mr. Well. Woe Bacon. So I don't know how it did with this FIP. <laughs> Alex. When you think about this pitching staff using the Contreras thing as a scapegoat, what comes to mind for you? Frustration. Um, because, and I mean, again, this goes back to, to Jack Flaherty's reaction to his game where he got blown up. Because after that game uh, in Katie Wu's piece, he was angry when he met with the media and was questioning some of the decision makings from the pitch calls, which is essentially Wilson Contreras. And then the next game, Wilson Contreras wasn't a catcher, and then all of this starts to take place. So, like, let's connect the dots here. What do you always say, BK? Follow their actions, not their words. And, of course, both of them fell into this. But that's where the frustration comes into play here because it's very evident that okay, the pitching staff has not been good in the first month of the season. It's actively been hurting this team. And now we've got outspoken individuals about the calls that are taking place by a catcher. So let's take the catcher off of this and put somebody else back there so that the pitchers can feel better about it. If the pitchers still struggle, guys, then you basically showed your hand here. Like you took the makeup off makeup off of the pig. You know exactly what it is right now. The pitching staff has not got the swing and miss stuff, and it doesn't matter who you have behind the plate, it's struggling. That's where the frustration sets in to where we have to pick one individual out of this and say, well, we're struggling because he's not calling the right pitches. Or we're not locating our pitches correctly, and no matter who's behind the plate, it's still going to be hit hard and our teams are still going to struggle. And at some point that's going to continue. And you've got to put Wilson Contreras back behind the plate. I, I think everybody on the team, except maybe the starting pitchers, but I think everybody on the team, the front office, the manager, I think they all know the true problem here has been the pitching staff is just not executing. I think the reason that they used Contreras as the scapegoat. And, and I, I do think part, I do think he is not a good game caller. I, I mean, that's been stated by everybody. I, I think that's the case. I think it was easier for them to go, you know what, we've got to somehow build confidence in this rotation and make the attempt to make them better. We can move Contreras out from behind the plate one guy, 
but it's going to be a lot tougher to do something and make a significant change with this rotation that we are essentially stuck with until we get to the deadline. And, and I think that's where this kind of decision-making came down to was, look, we can't we can't make all kinds of changes to this rotation with three, four guys that are struggling. We can move Contreras, and we think his bats can still have a major impact on this team. We've got to try this, and then if this doesn't work, then sure. Then we can go find a way to do something with the pitching staff, point the finger at them. So are you going to apologize for Wilson to Wilson Contreras then for using huh. him as a scapegoat at that? Because I, now you're going to put him back in the with the pitching staff I don't know if you can use him as a... I don't know if he can truly have the full term of being a scapegoat when I do think he is part of the issue. Again, I don't think he's... But it's not like this guy just started catching. It's not like you just created him as a catcher. I mean, it sounds like his prep work was he just started catching. He's been doing it since 2016, and it's not like the Cubs were awful in those years. I mean, I... I hear that, but again, I think that's the pitcher execution. I, I think oh, they had a better pitchers. pitching staff, and Contreras yeah. gets tied into that. I, what I'm saying is I don't think you can just go, okay, well, Contreras is a scapegoat because he's not a problem at all. No, I, I think he is part of the problem. I think he's like 20% part of the problem, so it's hard for me to say, yeah, he's the scapegoat for this. Do I think it's the, on the pitching staff? Yes, but do I think it should be Contreras gets the kind of get-out-of-jail-free card? No, I, I think there is some blame to Contreras, and it was easier to kind of make that change, then change four pitchers out of the rotation. Cardinals pitchers have allowed five, five, six, six, and one run with uh, Andrew Kisner behind the plate over the course of the last eight days. Five, five, six, six, one. That's got to get better for me to believe that this is mostly, forget any, mostly a Wilson Contreras problem. Their biggest issue right now is that their card, the Cardinals pitchers are not executing their pitches, and until that changes, nothing else matters. Jack Flaherty, this is a big start for you, big oh, boy. Oh, yeah. The big start for Jack Flaherty. Tonight. Real quick, 2017, Cubs had the seventh-best ERA in Major League Baseball. 2018, third-best ERA in Major League Baseball. 2019, seventh-best ERA in Major League Baseball. All three of those seasons, Wilson Contreras caught a majority of those games behind the plate. And I think those pitching staffs were better than what it is here. So let's call a spade a spade. The pitching staff is bad, and we're pointing I, to I Wilson understand, Contreras. I understand what you're saying, but it is tougher to... They've got to build, try something to build confidence in this rotation. I think, I think this was more of a, man, we're stuck with this. We've got to try and somehow make them more confident. We've got Contreras for five more years, and he's one guy we can move. I think We've got what guys. we're starting to learn is that Yadier Molina was a hell of a lot more important than what anybody gave him credit for. And this is coming from a fan base that thinks that he's a future first ballot Hall of Famer. Like, this this year struggles with the pitching. This staff is the same as what they had last year, guys. Yadier made them look better than they were. Yadier saved this organization a hell of a lot of money because of what he was able to maximize from their pitching staff. Coming up next, Jeremy Rutherford here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by our friend, the Blues Insider for the Athletic. He's Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on the show. The day after the Blues were announced to be receiving the 10th overall pick, they did not move up in the draft lottery. The Chicago Blackhawks, however, did. They will be selecting first overall in this year's draft. JR, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? Good, boys. Anytime. How's it going? Uh, we're doing all right. So when you saw last night that the Chicago Blackhawks are getting the number one overall pick, what was your reaction? 
my immediate reaction was I've had 5,000 Blues fans tell me for the past couple months that that was going to happen, and the first thought in my mind was they were right. So you're buying into the conspiracy theory then, JR, that it was rigged. <laughs> no, Actually, look, uh, I realize the conspiracy theory is always going to be there. I'm not one who believes it. You know, I got some colleagues who are Coward. actually in the room that, that, said that, thing was, <laughs> that said that thing was uh, – Handled, you know, an hour or so ahead of time. Yeah. Uh, but but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. When you have a, a, a hiccup like you did with Kevin Weeks on the broadcast <laughs> last night, all that's going to do is feed into uh, what we heard last night about the system being rigged. And the fact that he's going to be a Chicago Blackhawk just gives more ammunition to these Blues fans. You know, JR, I said this last night, and despite Chicago winning the first overall pick and getting Connor Bedard, in terms of the Western Conference, like the Blues are, are to have the 10th overall pick is a pretty good spot to have because even with Connor Bedard, Chicago's still in the rebuild. Arizona's still going to be in the rebuild as they're selecting 6th and 12th overall. And San Jose's got a long way before they're competing. And then the rest Eastern Conference teams, so it's a pretty darn good spot for the Blues to not move back in that draft and stay in the top 10. Yeah, it really is. They could have slipped back to uh, 11 or 12 there, but to keep that 10th overall pick, you know, I I think is great. You go back to Alex Petrangelo, number four overall, the last time they had a pick uh, that high, and look at the sustained success they've had under Doug Armstrong for, you know, 10-plus years with not having very many high picks. You're talking about the Robert Thomases uh, in the 20s and the Jordan Kyrus in the 30s of the world. Uh, leading to a lot of this success here uh, lately. So I think that uh, the amateur scouting staff has done a terrific job, and under Tony Feltrand uh, should have a good player here to pick at number 10. Jeremy Rutherford, J- Jeremy Rutherford, excuse me, is our guest here on 101 ESPN. Uh, find his work over at The Athletic, and be sure to follow him on Twitter, at J.P. Rutherford. Uh, JR, I did want to ask you about what we can expect with that 10th overall pick. If you just look at the prospects, and listen, I'm no prospect guru. I just go over to The Athletic and read what you guys are writing about these prospects. And if I'm five. being totally honest about it, there's not a whole lot of defensemen that are projected to go in that range of this year's draft. When it comes to positionally, do you think that there's anything they are targeting in the, with that first pick that they have in this year's uh, NHL draft? Well, Big K, you're lucky there. I just had a uh, hour-long conversation with uh, Doug Armstrong talking about uh, the upcoming draft, among other things. And, you know, the one thing that he said is that uh, now you know that uh, Connor Bedard is off the board and the Blues don't have an opportunity at that uh, number one, number two, or number three pick. And, and so it's kind of set up for him. You know, they want to make that number 10 pick. He said he would be absolutely shocked if he weren't up on stage in Nashville uh, to make that number 10 selection. Uh, but now what do you do with those later-round picks? You're talking – uh, the picks coming in the O'Reilly and the Tarasenko trades. And, you know, he kind of reiterated t- today what he had said in the past is that you have the flexibility, the option. You know, what do you do with these picks? Do you trade them to kind of move up? Do you trade them for an established uh, NHL player? They've identified some players within the organization. They haven't made those phone calls yet uh, to see who might be available, but some players that they might be interested in. BK, the one thing he did say uh, as we wait for Toronto potentially tomorrow night and or Dallas to get knocked out of the playoffs, that would obviously give the Blues a better pick because of those trades and where those picks will fall. Uh, Doug Armstrong said he's watching these playoffs a little bit differently, rooting against these teams so these picks can come into the Blues a little bit higher. Jared, just to kind of follow up on that, I mean, BK and I have kind of identified those teams that the Blues could target in terms of acquiring a player that could be an impactful player for their team next year. Tell him to give us a call. Yeah, I mean, I've already put together Ferrario 5 on that aspect of it, too. But, I mean, if in your opinion, teams like the Rangers, teams like the Maple Leafs, the Golden Knights, 
Could the those lightning. the lightning, uh, the Calgary Flames, could those be the teams that Doug Armstrong and company might be targeting? I think those could be. Uh, let me break it down this way. So, you know, those teams uh, could want some picks because, right, they've given up a lot of picks, especially leading into this uh, trade deadline, uh, to get to where they were, and then they fell short of their expectations. Uh, but that said, these players that you potentially are, are talking about on those rosters that the Blues might have interest in, you know, are going to command uh, some salary if they have two or three years left in term, like Doug Armstrong is, is hoping to get players uh, with that term. Uh, and how much are those guys going to cost? I mean, if you're talking about uh, the players in Toronto, you know, that could potentially be on the move, or even Tampa Bay, some of these guys have big price tags, and we know that the Blues don't have a lot of cap. You know, in my mind, you're probably looking at a, a lesser tier guy, like we saw with uh, Kapanen coming in, like we saw with Verana coming in. I don't think that they're looking. Uh, you, you know, to bring in a type of guy that, that's going to have a big salary and be kind of a foundation type player. I, I think you're looking for uh, a guy who's going to come in and accent what they're doing right now. That makes me excited because that kind of goes with what we've been talking about, honestly, JR, with some of these potential RFAs that are going to be coming up for contracts this offseason, not getting paid big time, but that are going to get maybe that bridge deal, two, three years, two, three million dollars, something like that. A guy that Alex brought up that, uh, honestly, when he said it, I was like, yeah, that makes a ton of sense, is uh, Ross Colton, center from the Tampa Bay Lightning. He's making $1 million this year. He's 26 years old. He's going to be an RFA this offseason. And as you know, JR, the Lightning are heavily, heavily up against the cap, and they do not pick in this year's draft until the sixth round based on their their transactions that they've made with their picks so far. Maybe it's not even specific to him, but that style of player, profile of player, an RFA that's going to be making a bridge deal this offseason that's in that 26, 27, 28-year-old age range. Do you think that's fair uh, to be looking at? Yeah, that's definitely, you know, Ross Colton's a good player and a guy who you could kind of put on that list. You know, I would have to ask the question of Doug uh, specifically. I mean, are you looking for guys with two or three years term on existing deals? Are you looking for potential restricted free agents who you could sign to a bridge deal. Like, I don't think he would mind the latter if you could find the right player and know that you could get him in at the right price. But every time he's mentioned that 26, 27 year old player, you know, he's specifically said two, three years term. So I think that's what he's looking. Yeah. I think that's what he's looking for. Uh, but you're right. These teams sitting there without draft picks and they got knocked out in the case of Tampa, you're talking about, you know, losing to, to Toronto in that series that could really help them. The one thing uh, I know you guys are aware of this, but uh, he kind of touched on it today is, uh, getting out and being the GM of Team Canada for this upcoming World Championship. He leaves uh, tomorrow for Finland. That's going to start on Friday uh, in terms of uh, the tournament. Um, he's really been out and about and talking to a lot of people that, trying to put that Team Canada roster together, and he said it just helps immensely. Uh, you already got a good feel for the league, but this really gives you a pulse of who's out there, who's playing well, who do people like, and who might be potential targets for the Blues in that age range. Jared, final one from me, and you know a lot of talk about the Pavel Buchnevich offseason, if he's going to be a center, if he's going to be a winger. So when it comes to the Blues targeting a player, maybe via trade or when they select 10th or possibly higher, do you think it matters center or winger in the Blues' eyes of what they're looking for? No, I don't think so, because uh, Doug did stress that today. You're looking for the best asset. He goes back. You look at the uh, Eric Johnson trade back in uh, 2000. I'm sorry, the Eric Johnson draft pick in 2006. Yeah, hey, it not. didn't work out. Yeah, it didn't work out for the Blues, and you did move on from him, but you had an asset that might be wanted around the league. I mean, how could you not with a number one overall pick? But, you know, they're not going to go into this draft and you know, pick center over winger, uh, you know, based on uh, the position. It's going to be based on uh, the player. 
uh, who's the most valuable, who, who fits. And, you know, he told me today, he said, uh, you, you draft top 10, you're talking about that 10th overall pick. You're looking at a guy who could potentially help you in the next 36 months. Uh, so even if you look at it like who could help you, you know, it's not going to be who are you going to plug in the lineup this year or next year. It's going to take some time. So it's not a counter Bedard situation, as we all know, but you're still going to get a good player who he, th- he thinks could be part of this thing in a couple, two or three years. That's my final question for you, JR. I did want to ask you something that we've been talking a decent amount about. We talked about it last night on the lottery show. We talked about it a little bit earlier today. Uh, there's a player from Russia. His last name is Mikov, uh, right winger, and he's under contract for the next three years in the KHL. So the expectation at least is you wouldn't be getting him until 2026. Some teams might be scared off by that. They might say, you know what? We want somebody that's going to be able to come over and be a part of our organization sooner than that. They can be a part of what we want them to be sooner rather than later. Do you think that is something that the Blues would shy away from? Yeah, it's a tough call. I mean, they've had some good luck with the Russian players. Obviously, each case is is different. You had Tarasenko and and so on and so forth. Uh, But I think in that situation, you know, the Blues pick at 10. Mikoff is probably the third best player in the draft behind Bedard and, and Fantilli. But you saw in our athletic mock draft today, he dropped, you know, further than, than three. So I think he could potentially drop in the in the draft. If he gets to 10, do the Blues take a chance on him? I think they probably could at that point because of, you know, the, the high value, the high reward potential there uh, if they're not looking to get him here for a couple of years anyway. So, I would think if you had to make me answer one way or another that, yeah, Doug would not shy away from that. Uh, but that's without knowing all the particulars of what they think about the player and what they think about uh, getting him over here. JR, appreciate the time as always, man. Plenty more to discuss on all of this, and we'll continue to do so as we lead up to the NHL draft, which is coming up in just about 50 days at this point. So we'll be talking with you as we get closer to that and discussing all of their offseason plans as things get closer. Thanks as always. We'll talk with you again soon, man. Perfect, boys. Talk to you later. Absolutely. That's Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic. Find his work over there. You can find the uh, the Athletics mock draft that yeah. they posted earlier today as well. And be sure to follow JR, as always, at JP Rutherford. Just a real quick follow-up on that Mikoff, and we could talk about this more tomorrow with sure. a little bit more time, but uh, Kirill Kaprizov was drafted in 2015. He didn't play in the NHL until the 2020-2021 season, so that's four seasons in Russia before he came over and he comes over in 51 points in 55 games, 108 points in 81 games. And then of course this season, what he did it was three seasons of Vladimir Tarasenko, who was selected 16th overall. Um, and uh, again, the athletic did a piece. I believe it was Corey Pronman that basically said there are groups of teams that refuse to draft Russian players and groups of teams that will draft Russian players and the teams that will draft Russian players Anaheim, Columbus, Arizona, Washington, Detroit, St. Louis. That's in the order of it. Anaheim and Columbus, I don't see happening because Anaheim is going to get Fantilli. Columbus needs to compete right now. So then you get into sixth overall. If Arizona decides to go Washington, eighth overall, Detroit, ninth overall. If you truly believe that three years is kind of the window of where you expect to be competing again, then you trade up and get this kid because you're bringing over a guy who could be a franchise player in three years when Snuggerud and Bolduke and Dean and Cairo and Thomas and all these guys are in the prime of their careers, and he realistically could drop to sixth, eighth, ninth overall, if you're Doug and you deem that player franchise-altering, you trade up and make that make that happen. The comparison for him has been Nikita Kucherov. That's in terms of production and projection. What he's already produced at his level 
is Nikita Kucherov is the only guy that's done it prior to Mikov. If you're looking at projecting what he can be at the next level, it's the same thing, same same style of player. If you're telling me I got to wait three years to get a potential franchise altering player, I'll do it. And the guys that I would draft otherwise will maybe take two years to get to the NHL level. Yeah, I'll wait the extra year for a guy that potentially has a chance to be a legit number one, like top line caliber player. That's that's worth the wait in and, my mind. And you and I would even trade up for that opportunity. And that's why Arizona is so intriguing to me, because Arizona at six, they've got 12. They've got probably like 25 picks in the first two rounds over the next three years. I'm exaggerating. If you call up Arizona and say, hey, we've got the 10th and the 23rd overall pick for you so that we can get into this, and Arizona doesn't want to take Mikov, you pounce on that. And Arizona would probably deem it trade-worthy. Coming up next, the Cardinals, it appears, have developed a new everyday lineup. Now it'll change for righties or lefties, but I do think there is something that we can expect from them now. And there's one player that's going to be in it that if you told me this at the beginning of the year, I would have laughed at you. Now, I think he needs to be. Let's talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Guys, I think the Cardinals have kind of fallen into their new everyday lineup. Now, I'm not sure it's going to be one the Cardinals fans like. I didn't say that you're going to be excited by it, but I do think that they found it nonetheless. When has a Cardinals fan been excited by it? Yeah, well, they're on a two-game win streak, and they obviously Fair. have fixed it, so tell me what it is. So, it's probably a winning lineup. Cardinals are going up against Jamison Tyon tonight. Uh, from the Chicago Cups. He is a right-handed starter. I think you will see Lars Newbar in right field. I think you will see Dexter, or excuse me. Dexter Fowler is back? Oh man. Freudian That's slip. not a winning lineup. <laughs> Dylan Carlson in center field. And they play about the same offense. And too. I think you will see Brendan Donovan in left field because I think right now, us against right-handed pitchers, he's your everyday left fielder. Did you see that throw last night? He's out there. We'll see what happens with Nolan Arenado, but eventually he's going to be your everyday third baseman in this scenario. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt, and to be clear, talking about with the the neck issue that he dealt with last night. If he's available, he'll he'll be as your everyday third baseman still. Paul Goldschmidt at uh, first. You'll have Nolan Gorman at second. And Paul DeYoung is your everyday shortstop right now against right-handed pitching. You said winning lineup? Yep. You know Tommy Edmond was playing there last night, right? You know something that's gone a little overlooked? Paul DeYoung's been good. Like, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There's no disclaimers here. Since his return to the big leagues, Paul DeYoung has only played in 11 games, so it is still a relatively small sample size. He's hitting 325. He's striking out less than he has at any point in his major league career, and he's slugging the crap out of the baseball right now. You got to give this guy a lot of credit, man. Because I know for me, I wrote this guy off 17 different times. We've been talking for years now about how the Cardinals need to give up on Paul DeYoung. He's 29 years old. This is not some asset that they're holding on to for future seasons. It's the last year of his contract here in St. Louis. Paul DeYoung, at least for this short stretch, has turned it around. I have no idea if this is going to sustain. I would bet against it, frankly. I would say he's probably going to finish the uh, the season closer to like a 250 average than a 320 average. But while you're seeing this, 
while he's still producing, he should be in your everyday lineup and he should be your starting shortstop right now, specifically against righties. Now against lefties, put Tommy Edmond in there. He's your starting shortstop. But for right now, he's your best option there. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, you play the hot hand and that's what you need to be doing right now, especially when, yeah, you won last night, but you scored three runs, which a little too close for comfort with this team, especially their pitching staff. It was a great job by Michaelis in the bullpen. But yeah, I mean, Paul DeYoung should be playing against righties because that's he's shown you the ability to perform now the Arenado piece if if he is out then you shift Gorman to third and then Tommy Edmond can take over at second and it works Which itself out yeah but moving forward let's say Arenado's in there yeah I'm with you Paul DeYoung should be playing because you sent him to Memphis you had him on the IL stand he did his rehab and now he's performing he should not be sitting on the bench and it's also worth noting that Tommy Edmond's still struggling against right-handed pitching he's hitting 177 against righty so far this season Oof. with an OPS of 560 it's not good enough <clears throat> Now, if you didn't have Paul DeYoung as your alternative, if it was still Taylor Motter on the bench as it's either Edmund or Motter starting in your lineup, yeah, then you go Tommy Edmund because you take the defense and whatever he gives you at the plate is a bonus. But right now you've got an alternative that's good defensively at shortstop with Paul DeYoung, and he's significantly better at the plate, at least for right now, than what you're getting out of Edmund. Yeah, and I think with Paul DeYoung, like, do I think this is going to be something that sustains? Are we going to look at Paul DeYoung's numbers? He's hitting 280 and really slugging the crap out of the ball by the time the season comes to an end. No, I think he'll revert back to somewhat of himself at some point this year. But it's kind of the same conversation we had when we were having the discussion of, uh, I think it was Luke and Baker. Yep. Bring up, You want to play the hot hand. And do you necessarily believe he's going to be like this for the entirety of the year? No, I, I don't. But right now... He's playing really well, and you want to have that in your lineup. And the moment he cools off is the moment you can start to ask the question of, okay, who's giving us a better chance? Paul DeYoung right now or Tommy Edmond, who's had his struggles against right? Or hell, maybe Tommy Edmond gets hot against right-handed pitching, and then you throw him out there. Right now, the Cardinals just need to be playing the hot hand and figure out where to put them in their lineup so they can help give themselves the best chance to climb out of the hole that they've dug themselves in here in the division. Coming up next, I do want to talk a little bit more, put a bow on our our conversation about Wilson Contreras. I think that he's eventually going to be back in the lineup as your everyday catcher for the Cardinals. We've heard differing perspectives on whether or not the Cardinals have handled this entire situation the correct way from two different former catchers, one of which was a former Major League Baseball manager. We'll discuss what they had to say earlier today and give you our final thoughts on the situation. It's all coming up next in the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Hey, you can join me on Thursday from 4 to 6 at Cybergs in O'Fallon, Illinois. You'll have a chance to win a four-pack of premium seats for the Scott Air Force Base Air Show, courtesy of Budweiser. The Air Show is back on Saturday and Sunday 
at Scott Air Force Base. It features the U.S. Navy's Blue Angels. If you join me on Thursday, you'll get entered to win a four-pack of reserved seats for the Sunday Air Show, courtesy of Budweiser. You must be 21 or older to enter. Hope to see you on Thursday night at Cybergs in O'Fallon, Illinois, from 4 to 6 o'clock. All right, we finished the show where we started it today, and that is with, with Wilson Contreras, guys. We were able to catch up with Brad Osmus, the former Major League catcher and MLB manager as well, and we talked with former Major League catcher Eric Kratz. They had two differing opinions. Eric Kratz is probably more similar to what we've been saying, Alex, which is I'm not sure that the Cardinals are handling this the right way. They signed Wilson Contreras. They knew who Wilson Contreras was, and now they seem to be taken aback by what they signed up for. And then we talked to Brad Osmus, and he said the opposite. Basically said, hey, yeah, listen, Wilson Contreras, it was known that he had some issues uh, game planning. It was known that he wasn't a great game caller, but the Cardinals probably thought they could work on it. And he said specifically he respects that the Cardinals have taken this forthright of a step to try to get Wilson Contreras back on track. After talking this over for really the last three hours, hearing those two differing perspectives, where do you land on your like elevator pitch of how this entire situation has been handled, Alex? I I land on the area that, yes, he might have struggles with pitch calling, but it is not the reason that this team is in the position that they are in. The reason is more on the side of the pitchers not executing their pitches, and I lean more towards what Eric Kratz said, that, look, this has been a weird situation. It has led to a lot of speculation outside, and as much as the Cardinals continue to say, we're going to keep this in-house and we're going to keep this under wraps and you know I'll take all the blunt of this Ali Marmal talking about it it still doesn't bode well for a team trying to dig themselves out of a hole and now moving forward the focus is on pitching staff backing up what they've been saying and if they don't then everybody's going to be looking at it even harder in terms of how this team is moving forward so I lean towards Eric Kratz and I also enjoyed the fact that he kind of stated like we haven't heard from John Mosaic and all of this started from the top yeah I I, I side a little bit more with Brad Osmus. I, I do think there are aspects of this that should have been handled better, but I, I think the Cardinals have done the right things in terms of, hey, we're going to cut this off. We're done talking about it. We're not going to tell you what he has to do to get back behind home plate because I don't think that's it. You bring that up, I think it just leads to more, spec, not speculation from the media, but allows the media to every day be going, hey, has he gotten this off the checklist? Has he gotten this off the checklist? Instead, it's, hey, you're going to find out when you see him behind home plate that he's taking care of everything, and you'll see it when our lineup card, when he's doing that on a consistent basis. I, I, I think that Though I do uh, kind of side with Alex in terms of the, yes, this is on the pitching staff. The pitching staff does have to be better. I, I think it is a there is a portion of the blame that goes to Wilson Contreras for the way he's calling games. We've known he's not been good at that. That's been something that's historically been his thing. And if the Cardinal, it's easier to kind of push him into the DH role, have him as an impact bat, than it is to try and fix whatever's wrong with four pitchers. I, I think you have to try and do whatever you can to get them the most confidence. And look, it does it end up working? We'll find out. If they're bad, what are they going to do? They're going to replace them at the trade deadline. But you got to try this first, and then you can go back to Wilson Contreras. I think they messed up. I, I think the messaging on this has been horrible. I think from the very beginning, that was the case. They started out by saying Wilson Contreras is not going to be catching anymore. He's going to be playing DH and outfield. I don't think that was Ollie Marmel misspeaking. I think that was the plan. He had been shagging fly balls in the outfield on Friday, and then Saturday they announced that he was going to be moving to the outfield in DH. And then Saturday night, that changed. 
And then John Mosellock comes out and basically takes the manager's legs out from underneath him by commenting to Ken Rosenthal that, no, he's exclusively going to be playing DH. My guess, that's Wilson Contreras saying, I would prefer to just play DH. I don't want to go in the outfield. (laughs) I want to be in the dugout while our team is out there playing defense, and then I'll go through things with the manager, with the pitching coach, and we'll kind of manage along with the game. That'll be something that I can do to make myself a better catcher because Wilson Contreras sees himself as a catcher. That being said... I think there's some truth to probably what Brad Osmus said, where I don't think that I don't know that Wilson Contreras would be handling this as well as he has been if he didn't also look himself in the mirror and say, I need to be better. I probably didn't put as much prep into this game as I should have. And he's looking at the pitchers and they're probably telling him the same thing and saying, hey, we're right here with you. We will be there whenever you're ready to go and we'll all be on the same page. I hope all of this ends in a kumbaya and just as it did for the 2005 Astros with Brad Ausmus, it ends with them celebrating, celebrating by making the postseason. That 05 Astros team was 15 and 30. This year's Cardinals team is 12 and 24 so far. It's possible, but that Astros team had some really good pitching and this Cardinals team has not had that good pitching so far. And that's where I think this is ultimately going to be determined. It's not by the game calling. It's not by Wilson Contreras' prep. It's by whether or not Jack Flaherty gets things going tonight. And then Montgomery follows that up. And then Wayno does. And then you start getting this thing snowballing in the right direction. And that's what they haven't had so far this year. If you missed any of our show today, including the conversations with Brad Ausmus and Eric Kratz, be sure to check that out on the podcast page. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. You can find it at 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.